castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome to August 28th, 1989 in the Legacy Series. It is the Meadowlands Arena. It is SummerSlam in New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for the second year. I find myself thinking about transitions. I find myself wondering when this era ceases to be this era. If you follow WCW, the Legacy Series, one of the hardest uh, forks in the road we ever hit was 1994 because in the first half of that year, it almost seemed like we were returning to the promised land of NWA, of 89, of Ric Flair, Terry Funk, uh, Ricky Steamboat. It looked like we were entering an era where the world title would be dominated by guys like Steve Austin, Dustin Rhodes, Vader, Flair. Steamboat, so on and so forth. But we had that struggle because, yes, it changed with Hulk Hogan. And, yes, it went downhill with some of the WWF light. But it also led to the NWO, which might be, for me, the setup for the greatest year of my wrestling fandom. It's easier to tell with WCW. I've been told from the outside by Tito and others that the beginning of the end of the greatness and fullness and just unprecedented nature of this era begins with SummerSlam 89, with Zeus, with the tag match, with Beefcake, with whatever, with Hollywood, with Hulk Hogan, so on and so forth. I don't know. I struggle with the fact that at least in my mind as a child, there is nothing almost as fantastically outlandish and WWF than mid-91 mid to mid-92. And that feels like it's part of this era, at least in the mind of a child from a long time ago. But some things are starting to be in place. Some changes are being made. The ultimate warrior is on the rise. Hulk Hogan, is he on the downside? Who knows? We're going to talk about all of these things. This We figured this out as we go, but we've got a lot of great matches. SummerSlam is that transition time between WrestleMania and Survivor Series, between the first half of the year and the second half of the year. And yet somehow I hear that two gray Guns and Roses, November rain, nothing lasts forever. And we both know hearts can change. I don't know where this era is going to end, but I know that I am someone who goes through life always wanting change, always wanting difference, always wanting to move on. And I thought that was part of me. But being in this era, I wonder, is it just the fact that I am rarely ever sitting in times in this world that live up to my expectations and the potential of the colors and the magic of what this world can be and then you plop me down in the 1980s in a promotion that isn't even my promotion and I fall in love with this outrageous nonsensical colorful narrative based line drawn era and I know it's gonna end We'll figure out a way. We'll figure it all out, folks. But we are moving out of not only 1989, but a decade soon. And we are just marking this down. 
Are we firmly still in the same era? Are we starting to see shifts and experiments? We'll get into it all, ladies and gentlemen. The hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. We have reached the second annual SummerSlam event. That is exciting in and of itself. However, if you want to look to the sign of the changing times last year, we had Hogan and Savage. Yes, we did just the same this year, but instead of Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant, now we have Brutus Beefcake and Zeus. Is it a transition? I don't know. What do you call a transition? How big does a transition have to be to be called a transition? Are we going from one era to another? I don't think so. Are we going from the strongest part of an era, an era that was healthy and growing and producing almost nothing but great stuff, to an era which is still capable of great stuff and yet is becoming infected with problems that will become more and more prevalent over the years? I think we are. We are reaching a different time, a time when perhaps the WWF is empowered to put not who is best for the role into power, but who they wish to see in power instead, which is a very different thing. If you didn't know, it is SummerSlam 1989. It is coming off a very hot WrestleMania, but some things are not the same. So I don't know if this is where it all goes downhill. I think uh, there are some signs here that things are not the same as they were before, though. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's great analysis, and we've talked before that in some way it feels like this era runs until 1992, and then we kind of switch to the new generation as, as far as broad strokes, and until I'm proven otherwise, I've got to stay with that because it does feel like we are still in this era, We are, li- but like you said, we can start making decisions not based on what's best, but what on what we choose because we are still living off the movement and motion of so much that has gone by. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We got ultimate. We got ultimate warrior on the rise. We got Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. I guess one question I would have to ask, since these are only human beings, booking. What do you do after you've had? Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Like, how do you follow that up? Best case scenario. That's tough, but I think we talked about interesting possibilities last time. You know, it's not as though we are bereft of fresh talent. Uh, We proposed Dusty Rhodes as an alternate to the Ultimate Warrior if they wanted to do face versus face. And hell, we know Dusty Rhodes, he could have played a heel. No problem. I think he could have done it. With ease, he has done it in his career before. Um, we've got, uh, man, we've got plenty of people out there. I, I just don't think that this is the only option. We talked about Stan Hansen being in uh, uh, the Michael. movie. So clearly, you know, he had his own obligations, but clearly he had some availability there. Um, we got Mr. Perfect, who will have a feud with Hogan, uh, I think, uh, before the year is out. So that that's something that they will cash in on, I think, in a good way. Uh, Jake the Snake is something they never explored. Again, a baby face, but man, we're, we're seeing that that's not off the table. Yeah. Um, and they're probably still afraid that uh, they chant DDT over him, but man, it's not as though they just looked around their roster and said, well, by God, there are no wrestlers left. Yeah. We have to go get an actor. Like, there are possibilities here that went unexplored. 
Yeah, there's something you can draw a line to me between Beefcake, Zeus, and the Ultimate Warrior, and there's no substance there at all. Mm. You know, it is all image, it is all projection, it is all look, and simply stated, this error has not been about that, despite what it might be remembered for. There has been substance and deep, 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 deep substance to everything that's happened. So if there's anything that's lurking that has me uncomfortable is why have we left the idea that these people need to have substance? They need to be able to make an argument. They need to be able to make you feel something. They need to be able to get down deep in the roots of narrative. Like what is happening that we are going away from that and we are trading Andre and Hogan and Savage and Hogan for this Zeus stuff, this beefcake stuff and this ultimate warrior stuff, which to to this day, I've not been impressed a moment by anybody I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely so. So you, you just can't say that they were out of options because we will see that there are other options. People have talked a lot in the forums at www.lopforums.com about the uh, earthquake feud that's coming up. Um, very positively, and they've actually made me much more interested to check it out again. So you can't say that there weren't interesting options on the horizon. Uh, they just decided not to go with any, and instead, instead we have Zeus and we have Brutus Beefcake hanging on. It's at least deeply story based because you know Earthquake's going to put Hogan out. And we're going to have that whole campaign. So it's again some of these stories to come, whether they live up to this, they're at least imitating. Uh, I want to know when they decided that the Ultimate Warrior was going to defeat Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6. That's a good question. I can't tell if they've decided it yet already or not. And I don't even have an instinct to say which one. I have warring instincts both ways, so I'm really not sure. I should have done some research. Maybe I will eventually because I've got to I've got to think that there's something between. It's not just that Hulk Hogan might be declining because it's not enough of that to me to say, let's put him against a baby face and have a baby face beat him. I wonder about the stability of the McMahon Hogan relationship. The way I've always heard it told that at best they've had a love hate relationship, but they didn't think they're the reason that the company succeeded. I don't know how trustworthy Hogan was as far as we know the minute he could get to Hollywood, if he could have succeeded, he would. Like I really need to make a note and do some research because I need to understand why Warrior over Hogan because as of this moment, they're starting to say the little warriors and like that's going to make the Hulkamaniacs, but there's nothing, again, that goes around it. There's no dressing on it. There's no story with it. There's no substance there. So as of right now, the most perplexing thing in my mind, I didn't think it would be. I thought I would be saying right now, oh, man, big music runs to the ring. And he's very over. He's going to get a massive ovation, maybe his biggest. But 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 damn, we're talking about replacing Hulk Hogan as a babyface at the top, and it's Ultimate Warrior. And as of right now, other than his look and his ovation, I don't know why why it's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something to the fact uh, they they went off and made No Holds Barred, of course, which we're going to hear all about, and you know it is what it is. And this is something like. If WWE Studios had existed then, you know, it would have been the first film. It was made by Vince McMahon, basically, and it was very much within the fold. But I believe at sometime around um, 19, 
90, Hogan is going to go off and he's going to make Suburban Commando, which really has nothing to do with the WWF. So is that the catalyst? Are they trying to prove, well, if you're going to go off and make films that aren't, you know, produced by Vince McMahon, well, maybe we don't really need you. Maybe we can use this other guy, which uh, will prove to not be true at all. Um, and it's up to you to decide if it's because it's Warrior, but just because it was too early to even try to replace Hogan. I don't know the answer to that. But I don't know. Do look it up. I'm curious as well what the official lines are. I'm sure they will be yeah. hard to untangle because the personas of Hogan and Warrior have only become murkier in time. But uh, but it will be interesting to know what the official stories are. Yeah, it's hard to unearth. It's hard to break down if you don't know what the claims are. Mm. And I took for this is the first time I've been lost in this series. because I took for granted that it would just make sense. And we've talked about, oh, Rude got some of the best matches out of the Ultimate Warrior. Well, that's cool, but this is also the biggest feud in the history of the career of the Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. And I've seen passion from Rick Rude. I have seen passion from Bobby Heenan. I wouldn't know if I just based it off the Warrior. I wouldn't know he just had his greatest feud in the history of his career. Uh, is that fair? Is that fair or is that unfair? I'm trying my best here. Is that fair or is that unfair? I think it's pretty fair. I credit Rick Rude um, and the people who put the matches together much more than Warrior, and I fully admit my bias here. I don't like Warrior in or out of the ring, so it's hard for me to give him credit. I like to think I would. It's not like he does nothing. Like, he could do a nice press slam and throw a guy yep. out of the ring, and, you know, he can be powerful and energetic so there's something there but yeah i don't know over hulk hogan that's tough to say but maybe we're just the wrong audience for it because people will tell you that you know they went to wrestlemania 6 and they 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 were cheering one or the other it's not like everybody was like oh yeah we were cheering hogan no you'll meet half as many people who were like yep i cheered the warrior then so maybe maybe it's us i I don't know i can't tell my few comments on that is number one if I see it, I'm going to call it. I have no problem. Sure. sure. Like we we have to just see our track record on Hulk Hogan versus WCW the Legacy <laughs> Series. Yeah. Number two, I never would argue. I don't think that he couldn't have a match where people would cheer him. Whether that makes him a world champion who can carry a company is a whole other thing. Because I have found Rick Rude for the most part to be dreadfully boring and just like deep in his gimmick. Like yeah. even at times where I like this man needs to be serious, he's just like kissing at the camera while Bobby Heenan is telling his story. We're going to see a very different Rick Root who is going to the frustration and the promo and the storytelling is top notch, mm-hmm. like dig down meat on the bones. And so what I don't understand is he's in the same feud and storyline as the ultimate warrior. So what storytelling outside of the ring has the ultimate warrior done to show depth, to show layers, to show character, to show evolution? Because I see it in Rick Root and he's in the same feud as the ultimate warrior. So where are the layers? Where is the meat on the bones? Where is anything that I can latch myself onto? Mm, indeed. Well, I'll just say, um, I one thing about Root, but first I want to talk about Warrior just a little bit more. Um, maybe uh, who has been cheered like potentially over Hogan all this time? I don't, I don't really think Savage was not really. Um, no. You know, much to our our chagrin, I think both of us thought that he would be like rivaling Hogan. I don't think he ever really got there completely, no. uh, which is too bad, but it is what it is. Besides that, I mean, there was the Jake thing, and that was very early, and they didn't want to risk anything with Hogan, so they didn't go there. Beyond that, 
yeah, I mean, so just for the fact that you've got a guy popular enough to fight Hulk Hogan as a babyface and get half the audience, that that does mean a lot. I mean, we've talked a lot about how Hulk Hogan is just overpoweringly popular at this time. So maybe you see a guy who even possibly could rival that, and you think, hey, we gotta we gotta give that a try. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But yeah, but that that brings me back to. Like, what is the urgency? Because number one, right. anybody in the business says Vince McMahon hates babyface versus babyface matches. Right. You know, so if he has someone who can divide half his audience, why would he? You would think that he would keep them away from each other. So I just feel like maybe I should have done homework and didn't realize it till we're on the air. But I really need to know the urgency of why babyface, babyface, baby why beat Hulk Hogan, why push Ultimate Warrior, because again. I guess he's a two-time Intercontinental Champion now, but is this any different than the first time he won it? Like he got he got a big win off Honky. If anything, we're gonna see Roddy Piper in this, and the heat between Piper and Rude is gonna be to me just as electric as anything Warrior was doing. Sure, yeah, maybe more so. So I don't know. Please do look it up. Maybe it's the movie thing. Maybe Vincent Hogan were having a bad day. Maybe um, <laughs> maybe they just thought it was best for business for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very hard to say. It could, could just be a weird Vince McMahon whim. We're definitely uh, getting into an era where that's more possible. We wouldn't have seen that, I think, a couple of years ago. So, I don't know. Please do look it up. Yeah, to me, this is just a mind-blowing pay-per-view in that we're going to have Tony Schiavone on the call. We're going to have NWA guy after NWA guy after NWA guy. We're going to have heels winning instead of faces. Way more than I've ever seen in this era. And, you know, it's just an interesting thing that... In a way, I would not say anything's changing as far as the era that we're in. But then when you go to micro instead of macro, there's a lot of strange things happening in front of my eyes. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Um, it is a bit of a strange pay-per-view. And uh, I would say it goes very much up and down as it goes yeah. along. This is, this is not a home run by any stretch. I don't remember exactly my feeling about the first SummerSlam, but I feel like it was a lot more positive than this one. Well, it's, it's always going to be different when you can say half of the matches might have been good, half of them not so much. But we're always looking for can't wait till we get to that main event because it's going to deliver versus right. half the matches might be good, half the matches might not. But I'm kind of scared to get to the main event. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have to suffer through the main event at the end. Yeah, you're right. Main events are very important. I think uh, – there's going to be some very interesting commentary. Again, www.lopforums.com. I've already seen some commentary from both yourself and some of the uh, listeners. So I know a little bit about where some of these conversations are going to go. So we'll get into it. Uh, Jesse Ventura looks like he's taller than Andre the Giant as he stands next to his new co-host, Tony Schiavone, here at this very special uh, SummerSlam in that regard. Indeed, and Ventura... Uh, warns Tony for he's, he's not going to be run off the air like Bobby Heenan was. And that, uh, of course, a reference to Bobby Heenan quitting Wrestling Challenge in a huff when they tried to make him do a three-man booth with Monsoon and Shivani. And, man, I mean, if, if you had a choice to work with Shivani or to just go be a manager full-time, I think, I think we all know what we would do. So It's so amazing because when I hear that, in this world that we exist in, Tony Schiavone is a newborn baby. Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan are the giants and kings of the world. Like, who could have put money at this time? Like, well, Bobby Heenan, you can walk away from the booth, but you're going to be subservient to this man for many, many years to come <laughs> in the future. 
Yeah, definitely not something that I think anybody would have predicted based off the year of 1989. So, it's so weird with Shivani. We'll talk about him as he goes along, but, like, clear, like this is a big spot for him, you know? They, they could yes. have used uh, Vince here. They could have maybe used Monsoon, although he, he had health problems on and off, so I don't know if that prevented him from coming. But clearly, they wanted to take a lot of the load off of both of those guys because they both kind of have other things they, they can be doing, so... Um, there, there's a, a big vote of confidence to put Shivani here on a pay-per-view, so we'll, we'll just see how he does as we go through. This is uh, one of the things about life that just seems like a principle because it, it's 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 un, unfathomable to me that Tony Shivani has this role coming from the NWA, looking like he does. Like I didn't realize how big Vince McMahon is until I saw him and Tony both standing beside Jesse Ventura. He's from the other company. Vince McMahon has to hate this man because he's going to jump ship almost immediately. And it feels like a rare time where Vince McMahon is like, I don't care you know, where he's from. I see something in him. I'm putting him forth. And so Vince McMahon does the right thing, which is a rare thing to say, and he might get burned by it. But, yeah, <laughs> it's just strange to me. Would you say – and would, would you say Tony has an accent? I mean – I don't feel like he does. I can't remember where he's from, but yeah, I mean, if he if he doesn't have an accent, then that's like ten points in his favor right yes. there. You know, it's it's much more surprising that he'll end up relying on Jim Ross so heavily, knowing what we know about Vince. So. The Tony, the Tony is uh, Bill Goldberg uh, compared to what Jim Ross is going to pay his his dues, and he's going to be used against the will of the company. I think at times. So you might be right. Number one. He doesn't really, and I think if he has an accent, he has much more of an accent in WCW because mm. it's a different kind of call. Like they, Tony is blending in well. He's not really ha- having conversations like we're having. He just says a thing real short, and that's what that's what gimmicks do. This is what <laughs> is hard for me about this pay per view because I am an NWA guy. If you're just listening to this series, you're not going to believe it because I halfway don't believe it. But like. They were giving me good stuff on the show, and I was like, ah, get these NWA guys off. Get this wrestling stuff off because, like, <laughs> my, I, I have been set to, like, this larger-than-life thing of these characters. And so, like, you know better than anybody else. Like, Monsoon and uh, The Brain, it's like one-liners, you know. It's yeah. set up and delivery. And Tony's more like that in this era. Like, he just says a short thing, and then he's out. Then Jesse's in. Then Tony's in. Then Jesse's in. You know, whereas in WCW, he's just going to talk and talk and talk, and it's going to be, you know, human suit Tony is going to make his uh, (laughs) self felt. Uh, Yeah, you're not wrong about that. Um, It's it's definitely weird. Uh, With Tony, I got, I definitely got more of his vibes of this era, and I was sort of reminded, I've been very kind on Tony for a while, and I was kind of reminded about some things Mm. I don't like about him in this show. So we'll talk about that as we go. Um, and, uh, credit, I don't know if that's the right word, but credit someone on Twitter, uh, I can't remember the user, but, uh, engaged me about Tony, and thank you for that, and pointed out he still kind of disparages Bobby Heenan on his podcast regularly, so that's, that's not great, Tony, I thought you were past that, and you really got to, um, get a life, man, that, that guy has passed away, so it's not really necessary anymore, so, so yeah, just the weirdness of Human Suit Tony continues. Yeah, I don't listen to that, because... It's never been about wrestling. It's about Tony as a a man who I don't need to know things about that I find out things about. But to me, if that's true, 
that's even worse of a look on fucking uh, stupid ass uh, Conrad because like why would you why would you set that up? I hope maybe maybe that's I, I, I guess I shouldn't even say that, but I'll be quiet until I hear it for myself. But yeah, he apologized. He made clear all of it was his fault. So you know, hopefully they're not doing that because that's just a really 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 bad look that doesn't have to be explained. Yeah, really unnecessary. I don't fault any two people in real life for not getting along. Clearly, they just uh, were not friends, and they both said bad things about each other. But yeah, at some point, just like, let it go. So, I don't know. I, I haven't heard it either, myself. I also, I don't, I don't listen to uh, any podcast, really. Um, I, I don't know if that's uh, hypocritical of me or not, after I produce so much podcast <laughs> content. But here we are, So uh, so we shall continue on. Yeah, I was listening to uh, a clip from Jim Ross, and I I thought about the way he treated Jesse Ventura in WCW, and I was like, I don't know if I even want to listen to this guy, because he was talking about you know how well he was treated by Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon when nobody liked him when he came in, and I thought, man, think about how you treated Jesse Ventura when you were on the, you know. But then I went and I found a clip, and like he, you know, he apologized. He said it was 100% his fault. He was jealous of the money that Jesse was making. So, you know, to me... If I'm going to listen to someone, I don't have to agree with everything that they say. Right. But if they're egregious and they're a hypocrite, I'm probably not going to listen to them. But the minute I found that uh, that apology, then I was able to jump back on to like, okay, let me listen to you talk about how great people were for treating you well, you know, when you maybe didn't do the same because you recognize that. So right. I, I just hope I just hope that that was a one off or or complicated or you know just like because. Tony had to make pretty much had to redeem his entire character in order to come back to wrestling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't, but this is why I see with Tony Schiavone. And so I'll bring it back to 1989. Every time he gets over, he finds a way to self-destruct. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see what he does. You know, he, he has one of the greatest stories because I think he did not like wrestling. I think he was very vocal about wanting to be gone from it. I think he did some awful things. And then the wrestling world just brought him back and gave him a redemption story. So, yeah. you know, don't do like he did Vince McMahon and burn that bridge, Tony. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so so here he is with Jesse Ventura, a man who uh, <laughs> the only time I can really remember feel sorry for Tony Schiavone is when he was with Jesse Ventura in WCW, because uh, if I remember, he looked like he needed an adult to come and help him yeah. stop getting bullied. Um, fortunately, in WWF, one nice thing is the adults are actually around, so it's not too bad here. <laughs> but uh, he does get roasted at times, and very deservedly so. There's one time in particular that I also will just roast the hell out of him for a stupid thing he said. So I think this is Tony's personality, too, because... It feels like they're negotiating their relationship. So at the beginning, it's almost Jesse Ventura warning him not to be like Vince McMahon and Gorilla Monsoon. And then it's almost Jesse Ventura uh, getting the best of him and Tony being very agreeable. Then it's Tony Schiavone arguing back a little bit. And then it's Tony Schiavone trying to take over the show. And I think you can watch that trajectory of one show and then get get Tony Schiavone's whole like life career out of it if you wanted to. That's a great observation. I uh, I agree with that entirely. And Jesse's not going to have that. This is a different day, a different era. So we're going to get into it, folks. Uh, We start off with a match that I know 
has been widely uh, credited as a great matchup. It is one that's already been talked about in the forums. Weirdly, the tag titles are not on the line. That will be explained later, but it is the Hart Foundation going against the Brain Busters. And I will say up front that this is definitely my favorite match on this show. This is one of my favorite matches, probably of 1989. Um, far and away, my favorite two-on-two Hart Foundation match. Uh, and, of course, they're against the best opponents that they could possibly ask for. But this match is just so smart, so well put together, so full of, like, every little thing. I mean, that's true of almost every Brain Busters match, but here I feel like it's amplified. I don't know if it's a pay-per-view stage or if it's, you know, Bret Hart is in there and he is also, like, a very good, like, think-about-everything uh, always be engaged, do all the little things kind of guy. I think he does a very good job in this match. Um, it's just full of so many little touches that I value so highly. Um, this is really just a wonderful match. Uh, I am a huge fan of it. And if you watch nothing else from SummerSlam 1989, I hope you will check out this match because I love it. Yeah, I heard this. I think it's our prof, maybe someone putting this match over as well. I will say I thought it was a good match. I think if I did not hear all this commentary, I would not have known that it was supposed to be as great as it was. I think I watched about an hour on when we do pay-per-views, three days, so an hour, hour, and then either hour or 40 minutes, depending how long the show was. Mm. And I don't know if I was just in a horrible mood on that first day because I didn't like anything. And it was all like, oh, NWA, and this is everything you want. And I was like, damn it, I hate everything. So I think partly it was my mood. And I agree with everything you said. So number one, I would say watch this match. Number one. Number two, this match is like everyone that puts out reviews loves this match. I think Miz Fan hit the nail on the head that when you've got Bret Hart and you got the Brain Busters, you're going to see one of the smartest matches uh, that you can see. I also think for Bret Hart's part, like this is another coming out for him because he wrestles this match to me almost like two sets of one-on-one matches and Jim Neidhart's just on the apron somewhere. So you see some really smart things from Bret Hart. and But you also see how he's different than the Brain Busters because it brings out his speed and his agility because they take on that super slow role. So I think they are really good for Bret Hart. And I, again, I think it's a good match. Um, it's widely known as a great matchup. So I'm mostly going to lay out and let Miz fan have uh, the time of his life here. <laughs> That's perfectly fair, and I'll say um, myself and our prof don't necessarily make up everyone or, or a wide match. I remember seeing, I've seen a lot uh, of reviews, too, though. I think it's okay. the same. Fair enough, fair enough. It's definitely not everyone. I remember seeing that uh, Dave Meltzer, so, you know, grain of salt, oh. but gave it oh, uh, dear. two stars oh, dear. at the time. What? Come on. We can talk about Meltzer. It's fine. The Meltzer, I mean, does Meltzer say it's not a great match? Uh, he gave it two stars, so that's not, that, that's not too great. Yeah, I don't know, so... Okay, so I yeah, that makes me want to say it's a great matchup. <laughs> Come on, oh, Meltzer does weird things to people. All right, fair enough. Uh, no, I, I'm not anti-Meltzer on that level, but I just yesterday saw, and this was probably his way to get over back in the day. Yeah. But I think he had like Hogan Andre is like the worst match, and Andre is the worst wrestler of the year several times. You yeah, know, so. he did. Um, he's got he's got some very strong opinions, and yeah, you know, it's it, then as now, you know, sometimes it's the big takes that get over. Um, you know, it, it's just not his style. He likes the the NWA, the Ric Flair stuff. He likes um, you know, the stuff from Japan. So to see this taken over the wrestling world. 
I think it must yeah. have been very frustrating, you know, to see something and you're like, this this has nothing to do with mm-hmm. what I value in wrestling and it's the most successful thing. That's that's gotta drive you a little nuts. So I've seen that. I don't agree with it. I kind of get where he's coming from, but yeah, I get why you would scoff at that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I never saw it in my life till yesterday. That's why it's it's fresh ah, hurt. Okay. All right. But I love you and I love you for that take because <laughs> we try our best to show all sides and that's a great point. But then that also befuddles me because we got the fucking brain busters in this match, but it gets a two star. So I would like to see his review because I think for me, here's my critiques Mm -hmm. and they're not big critiques because I think it's a great, great matchup. Uh I just don't know that it's better than any other brain buster match. Um, Bret Hart again to me and it might just because I just heard his quote, but like he's like doing the, the beginning. He's doing like working over the arm of one of them. Then another one comes in and he's working over their arm. And I'm like, they're not the same person, Bret Hart. Uh, and like, it's like two great intercontinental title matches. It's like, oh, Brett versus Tully, Brett versus Arn. But later on, it gets to be fabulous. I got sequences to call out. Um, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. Good match. Uh, I would, I would like to put all the Brain Busters matches on a page one day and see. Like, I don't know if it's any worse than any of them, but I don't know that it's better than them either. So that's just where I'm at. That's fair enough for a match with the Rockers or with Demolition or something. I could never tell you that you were wrong. It's all subjective. Of course, uh, God knows, like, they have much, 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 much stuff that we have not even seen in the NWA as well. And I I would probably bet that there's uh, the best stuff couched within there. But then again, yeah, you never know. You never know where you might find the best. And, uh, by the way, when we say the best, we're really... We're really, as always, just talking about favorite, which is what yes. it is, if anyone wants to admit it or not. So so it is going to be different for different people, for sure. I think you've already done this, but hit 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 me again with maybe two or three points that make this matchup like, on that level. Like, What are the top, top things from this matchup? I, I don't know exactly what it is that puts it over the top. They get, they get a really good amount of time to work, which is nice. They get a pay-per-view crowd, which is very hot for this match, which is very nice as well. So maybe it's just the atmosphere that puts it slightly above. I wouldn't say this match blows like all their other matches out of the water, like it's uh, so incredibly clear-cut. It's just a match that hit me extremely well at the time. Um, a lot of it, yeah, is just the usual great brainbuster stuff. Like at one point, I love that um, Bret Hart has Tully Blanchard down, like on his back in some hold, and Tully, um, instead of trying to like out wrestle Bret or you know do something like that, he just like wiggles himself over to the other corner and sticks out his foot to get the tag to Arn Anderson. And I'm like, man, that's just it. You wouldn't see anyone else do that, I think. And it's so smart and it's like perfect yeah. for the brain busters because they, they're not above any, like, they don't care if they look weird. They don't care, you know, if, uh, if it looks technical or scientific or clean. Like, they're just doing anything to remain in the advantage. So it's just little moments like that. And like you say, almost every brain busters match has that. It just uh, hit me extra well in this moment, I guess. That makes sense to me because I think three out of four of these guys are masters oh, of yeah. sequences. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all the same person when it comes to wrestling is real. Everything that happens needs to be real and we have to figure it out. So you get a lot of sequences. Like there's, there's a whole thing of, I think they tag a boot 
and the referee has to let him know that's not a real tag. You got to tag hands. There's one time one guy's standing on the bottom rope so that he makes the tag, and the referee's like, you can't make a tag. You can't be standing. So you got that theme, that pattern running. You got some really cool stuff like Bret Hart um, being kind of raising up, uh, bridging up, and then like uh, flipping over both guys um, and then doing like a double arm drag out of it. So again, I think the style of the Brain Busters forces a better Bret Hart. I think for me, I'm a pace guy. So like, I think the more technical matches that are going to be a notch higher than what I rank them is like, I like more of a variety of pace. Mm. Um, And so for me, because I always find the thing I critique, and it's not a fair critique, but the slower the match is, or the if it's the same speed, it never reaches the height that some matches do for me when they change. They go up and down and back and forth and switch up the pace a whole lot. So, I don't know. That's, that's very fair. You know, taste, um, taste does vary a lot as we go along. So, anyway, watch this match for yourself. Uh, I hope that you will enjoy it as much as I did. If not, that's fine as well. Um I think it's a great match. It's a classic that I always think about, and I think, uh, if anything, is underrated by some people. But uh, then again, everyone is just watching according to their taste, so it is all good. Um, I will say, I also think this is a uncommonly good Jim Neidhart um, appearance. Usually I don't really have much regard for him one way or the other, but I thought he did just a little bit extra well here. Uh, I have a very strong image of him like slingshotting himself over <laughs> the top rope. And that's something he does from time to time, but it just, it just looked extra good here. I gotta say, I love, um, one, uh, they, they do a move, which is actually, I think, better than the heart attack. It's a move where one, one brain buster's lying on the mat, and Jim Neidhart picks up Bret Hart, like he's gonna, like, reverse power slam him or something, and he just hurls him down onto the other guy. And I'm like, man, I mean, I guess it's not very dignified for Bret, which is maybe why they didn't do it very yeah. often, but, that looked better than uh, almost every double team they ever did, so that was a great moment also. That one was awkward for me. So I, I, I see kind of the other side. Like, the landing is cool because you are flipping them from their back to their front, so they would they would land properly and with momentum. But what it takes to get there, I can't see Bret Hart allowing that every night. <laughs> and, yeah, Bret Hart probably was not uh, the biggest fan of that move. But I don't know. I love Matt. I like... Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart are very different sizes, um, and yes. that's something that they don't actually use nearly as much as I think they could. So to see a spot like that, and I thought they executed it really well to boot, I, I was a fan of that. That popped me. I think that they are very different sizes, and I think we pretend like uh, the Brain Busters are very different sizes, and those are two different things. <laughs> like, arms yeah. supposed to be, oh, here comes the muscle, and I think it's just because he's a little heavier than Tully. Yeah, that framing... Um, and it's just something they say, so I think it's something, like, someone told them to say, because it doesn't make it into the matches at all. Like, they wrestle very, like, they could be, um, uh, uh I was going to say they could be, like, the Killer Bees, just because they're interchangeable, but uh, I don't like that, so I'm not going to say that exactly. But you know what I mean. Like, they, yeah. they, they kind of have the same skill set, same size, same build. They can kind of do the same things, and they both do them so well, and they have unique touches, but... uh yeah, they, that framing doesn't really make any sense. And My guess is they arrived at Vince Man told him to lose 200 pounds, and he's like, I weigh 250, and they're like, oh, if he's not willing, just, just call him the muscle. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, but you know what? They're tag team champions anyway, so I don't care what Vince McMahon told them when they got to the company, because goddamn, they are champions, and they're having great matches. 
Yeah. It's just such a it's a nuanced statement though because muscle and enforcer are so similar and they're so very different because enforcer more or less implies it's not just bouncer whereas muscle is more bouncer in my mind but enforcer it's just your job to enforce it but it doesn't mean you do it with muscle you do it whatever way you've got to do to enforce that thing. Yeah, despite being called the the brain busters, they uh, they don't really get much emphasis on their um, intelligence which I think no. they had a lot more of. In the NWA, um, in, in the WWF, you know they get little bits of promo, but they they don't get to talk much. You know, a lot of it is Bobby Heenan talking for them, and you can never fault for Bobby Heenan being the one talking. But still, um, you know, there, there's probably something left on the table psychologically with that. Yeah, I, I think intellect is too close to character or humanizing a, a couple of heels, so <laughs> got to be careful of that. Um, Tony has a moment. The belts are not on the line. Jesse Ventura explains they won the belts after the match is already signed. Why would they put the belts on the line? You wouldn't put the belts on the line. Nobody would put the belts on the line. And then you get a little bit of silence. And then Tony says, I think I would. And Jesse <laughs> says, oh, I've heard it all now. And that's kind of the beginning of something right there. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know which I dislike more. And I said I dislike Tony a little more during the show because I almost prefer when he gives a response like that because far too often in this show he does the thing where he hears like a joke or a comment or something he doesn't like and he just ignores it like he won't engage with it and uh, that's that's what gets me even more so I would even rather he made these outlandish claims because um, at least like that puts him in that uh, that 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 space where where he's kind of organically engaging with the show and uh, when he's not it's just. It's worse for me, so I, I almost appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, you just hit the difficulty of watching this show for me because I was I was kind of excited about Tony being there. I was curious for him, uh-huh. Be- but then number one, when, when you're announcing with Jesse Ventura, you have to because re- all he wants is for someone to bite on what he's putting out there, and if you uh-huh. don't, there's a problem. And then secondly. It puts me in a weird place where when you add WCW people, I have to say, oh, well, the product dropped because you got a WCW guy, not a WWF guy, you know, and it was in those moments where you know how Vince McMahon would respond and you know how Gorilla Monsoon would respond. And if this is going to work, you only have one job, and that is to always engage obnoxiously, ridiculously, does not matter, but you have to, have to, have to always engage. There's a narrative, there's a line, and everybody's over the top. And you have to engage. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we don't really get that through the show. And uh, it, it does hurt the chemistry. I didn't feel very strong chemistry between these guys. Uh, I think kind of felt that way in WCW as well. So uh, these guys, I think, were just never going to be a very good fit. Because like you say, after a while, Tony will always kind of want to run the show. And you're never going to get that. With Jesse Ventura. The crazy thing is he can work with Vince, and you want to talk about people who are known for being, like, control freaks. So, I don't know, some kind of chemistry or some kind of just, like, understanding the vibe or something. I don't know, like, maybe when you challenge Vince, he, like, takes it as a challenge, and he'll kind of, like, rise up and, like, battle back. Where Tony, like, if he's put off, he'll just sort of shut down and not, not talk to you anymore. And that's, your job is talking, so, you know, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, I think... Maybe with Jesse and Vince is part character and part reality because right. Vince is not going to have an alpha dog take over his territory. And I think it's hard to tell 
with Jesse? Like, are we in gimmick right now, or is this Jesse? Because Jesse's the closest thing to Hulk Hogan as far as trying to threaten Vince McMahon's sovereignty and his kingdom. You know, he's going to do a lot of things like, oh, you know what? You might need to treat people well. We might deserve agents. We might need to, you know, be looked after. And so I think you get a little bit of Vince McMahon, the obnoxious, like, baby-faced character. And once in a while, like, you can actually feel like they're trying to nudge the other one out of frame. And that brings out, I think, a side of Vince McMahon that is never going to respond like Tony Schiavone does. Indeed. I think uh, along that line of thought, Ventura should just be very happy he started some movies because uh, I, I don't know if he would have gotten away with as much as he had if he hadn't done that. Yeah, I was listening to him last night. And he, I think he left WWF because of uh, issues like what we're talking about, and then they needed him back because, according to him, Saturday Night's main events like we, we, you know, where's Jesse Ventura? That's part of the package. So he was about to get his second movie off the Arnold movie, and he made sure. Before he re-signed with WWF, he signed that movie deal without them, you know, <laughs> so that he wouldn't have to, like, go through the hurdles of, like, Vince trying to take things from him. Oh, very smart. I mean, uh, one thing you say is, yeah, Venture was smart about looking after himself, and I really do credit him tremendously for uh, introducing the idea of, hey, we should have, like, these contracts, and we should have lawyers look at them, and like you said, we should have agents, and we should actually be uh, treated a little bit better than we are, so... So, yeah, I credit him a lot for that because that's something that the industry needed then and probably still needs now. Question. Have you seen the role where Jesse Ventura is the guest host? In, like, 2009? Yeah, I definitely saw that. He invented okay. commentary together for a match, yeah. and that was kind of surreal. So I saw it last night for the first time. And oh, well. I would not. Yeah, <laughs> it was so heartwarming because – like, Vince thinks Jesse wants to fight him, and, you know, he's like, no. And then he hands him that suit and the bow tie, you know, and we're going to go back to the booth together. And it's like, oh, my God. And there's their name-dropping Saturday Night's main event, like, several times. That was a really good episode. I remember that really well, actually. That was a time I was, uh, I was very into WWE, and that was a time that it paid off. Yeah, so great moments. And it just things that stand the test of time, because yeah. that is, what, 20 years or so off of what we're calling? Yeah. Yeah, exactly so. So that that it's enduring. It's the stuff that has staying power. Yes. So walk us through how this matchup uh, ends, if you don't mind. Um, I, my notes are a little uh, vague okay. on that, so I won't say the specifics. But B, the Brain Busters and Bobby Heenan, uh, essentially they cheat. They pin the uh, the illegal man instead of the legal man with some shenanigans and some double teaming. They do retain the victory. Um, which makes me wonder, again, like, probably could have just put the tag titles on the line anyway for this match, but you know what? It's all good. It was a really good match. You may like it. You may love it. Uh, I hope that you do check it out, because uh, it's, a, it's a good one, I think. At the very least, it's a very good match. It's absolutely worth checking out. It's, uh, you can't, if, if you like Bret Hart or you like the Brain Busters, you're going to be very, very pleased with what you find. Indeed. Indeed. If you don't like any of the three, please let us know what you like. <laughs> or don't maybe i don't know if you want to <laughs> like my god like the ultimate warrior he never gets his just due here <laughs> i don't know if i can take a brutus beefcake fanatic coming on oh. and, and telling me i've given many opportunities for people to explain what's good about brutus beefcake and a after this show i think i might shut that window forever because i it's not happening so the fact that you gave that you kept that window open that long that's a good man <laughs> my god there's a beefcake moment later that will make me wonder, who is the mystic here? Is Miz fan Ooh. actually the mystic? 
Oh man, I'm not. It's definitely you. But thank you for that <laughs> moment of recognition. So you're welcome. It's just we'll we'll get to it. But man, it it, it uh, it's almost like you jumped time and then came back to the beginning of the series with me. So uh, we'll get there. Uh, we'll get back to my bad mood first because we got a promo with the former three-time NWA Heavyweight Champion Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I'll let you talk. Maybe you enjoyed this. <laughs> I mean, it's Dusty Rhodes. He's charismatic. I can't dislike something yeah. that Dusty Rhodes does, but uh, I look at this match, or at this, uh, well, the match too, but this promo like, he's wearing Bossman's hat, but he's not wrestling Bossman. I yeah. wish he was. Uh, he's wearing polka dots. He's talking, oh, you can't sing, and I can dance better than you. And I just can't stop thinking about that DiBiase match and how much better I like that presentation as opposed to this. So, um, you know, I, I can't say at all that Dusty did a bad job with what was given to him, but it is disappointing to think about it in that context. Yeah, I'm not knocking Dusty, but how in the world do I live in a space where for two weeks now we've called Dusty Rhodes and my least favorite thing has been like, please shut off Dusty Rhodes promos. Oh. I don't want to say that, but like we got the brother love one and then we got this and I think BK hit the nail on the head. Like, cause I didn't realize that he takes this over the top, like positive, toxic positivity, I would call it cause it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like it's, it's positivity without a context. But I didn't know he does that big smile with the freeze frame on his face. I thought that was just part of those promos, those uh, vignettes that we saw. And so it's like an attempt to make him like a hacksaw and a Brutus where you just have one emotion and feeling and you behave like that no matter what the context is. And, of course, Dusty's going to be a lot better than the people that I named. But... We watched him in the NWA. We know he has more than one kind of emotion. Mm. You know, so don't... It just feels like all they want to do is make a fool out of him. You know, and we'll get to this in a year and a half or so, but I forgot how he leaves WWF, so... You know, I wonder if he knew that I'm going to put in all this work, I'm going to do everything that they say, I'm going to do it however they say it, and I'm going to be jobbed out to The Undertaker as an absolute nothing and sent on my way at the end of this attempt. Just questions. It's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But, uh, I mean, we've talked many times about how WWF this time likes to give you one thing and drill down on it. And sometimes that's good and sometimes, yeah, it's not so good. Um, it does feel clownish. It feels uh, one-dimensional. <laughs> I don't like the face either. I don't think... That sticks around indefinitely, so I'm hoping that that will be moved on from, because, yeah, it just looks silly. Um, and it looks <laughs> it looks like Dusty Rhodes knows, like, this is the stupidest thing yeah. ever, and I'm, you know, I'm just going to lean into that, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, it's not the best. Um, I really like the story somebody told, or it was BK or somebody in the forum said, uh, talking about how they tried to, to guide Dusty Rhodes and Randy Savage on how they should be doing their matches and how, how they could make them better. And Dusty Rhodes just sat and listened, and then he said something like, it sounds like you're trying to teach Babe Ruth how to play baseball. And I'm like, yeah, you took Babe Ruth, you took one of the best, and look what you're doing to him. You're not making him better. You know, it's a man who can speak with depth of emotion about hard times and about a thousand things, and you're just sort of making him a smiley clown and it's not uh it's not good it's not an improvement on anything so stop it 
Yeah, that was my story that comes from Bruce Pritchard. Oh, yeah, sure. Yep, that was you. My bad. <laughs> and, but that came off of a BK story, I think, from the same show. And what, what hurts the most from that is that the reason they – because I don't know that Pat Patterson was wrong. I think sure. changing the match was the right thing because it sounds like all the house shows were pretty much really were like running to my elbow. But the funny thing is Bruce Pritchard and Randy Savage, according to the show, were such fans of Dusty Rose that they just did whatever Dusty said – and so then Pat Patterson finally saw the match for the first time. And he's like, oh, this is awful. And, you know, pretty much turned it into the kind of match you would expect, which is let Dusty get beat down for a while, then make the hot come back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know that they're even wrong in that. But right. this, again, blows my mind that you got Randy Savage is that big of a fan of Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> and yet the company treats him like that. It speaks to the incredible um, stature of Dusty Rhodes, though. I mean, uh, we talked about it a little, I think. This is a guy who came to the WWF before, when it had an extra W still, wrestled superstar Billy Graham, and, uh, you know, created riotous reactions in Madison Square Garden. So this is a guy who was a giant before any of these guys, practically, that we're talking about now. You know, who, who from that era was also a star back then? Andre, I think. And that might be it, you know, on the whole roster. So, uh, you know, Dusty Rhodes, he's a giant. He's a legend. And uh, some people knew it, and I guess some people didn't so much. So here, here we are. And they're making me do the impossible thing. I won't even – I have so much respect for Dusty, I won't even do it. But everything that I see as the transition from great to less than great is taking multifaceted characters mm-hmm. and turning them into one-dimensional characters. Yeah. Like, everything that we've said about Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, Hulk Hogan, like, they have so many different emotions, and they're complex, and you don't know what they're going to come with because they got to, like, figure out how to, like, work this narrative so they might be angry, they might be sad, they might be happy, they might be agreeable, they might be disagreeable. And you're wanting to place Dusty Rhodes in the category that will belong to the Ultimate Warrior, that every time he's up there, you don't have to tell me who he's wrestling, you don't have to tell me the feud, and I can predict his words and his behavior and his mannerisms. Mm. And that, that sucks if it's anybody, but this is also Dusty Rhodes. Right. Uh, anyway, like you said, too, like he's got, the, he's got the boss man's gear on. Like, It's like, how many ways do you want to make this not make sense? <laughs> right. Just wrestle the freaking boss man. It would be much better than what we're about yeah. to see. So, my God. So he is taking on Honky Tonk Man, and it is everything that you think it is going to be, which is who can dance better, who can. If this has been a few years later, he might just have had a dance off, but uh, they'll they'll have a dance off in a matchup. So we get a double header from this uh, here at SummerSlam '89. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my reaction to Honky Tonk Man at this point is like he's still here. What? Wait. Yeah. Uh, you know, like his relevance seems to just drop off the face of the earth after he lost the Intercontinental Title, which was already a year ago. But I know he'll be around because I think he's in like the Undertaker's debut match, which is the end of 1990, I think. So I mean, wow. he's gonna hang around. He's gonna tag with Greg Valentine, who will dye his hair black. And uh, he'll just keep existing, and I don't know why, and I'm just not into him. And this match was like 10 minutes long, and it felt a lot longer. Mm. Um, yeah, Dusty, he's charismatic. Just watching him move can be fun sometimes, but really this should have just been like a three-minute squash, and uh, that would have been perfectly fine with me. And if it was the American Dream, it would have been, but this Dusty Rhodes 
probably is enjoying his time with Honky Tonk Man because they're like, oh, we're both gimmicks. Let's gimmick together. And yay. <laughs> you know, think about how fascinating. It's the last thing I'll say because we beat this to death this week. But there has to be an equal level of, oh, my God, I would not have predicted this. Like the equivalent of watching this Dusty Rhodes behave like this. And then Russell Honky Tonk Man would be the equivalent of if the Honky had gone to the NWA and had been legit and a world title contender with Dusty Rose and been able to match him emotion for emotion. <laughs> like, you know that would never happen. Right. But if you didn't know this happened, you also would know that this would never happen. <laughs> yeah, it's really unfortunate that you can um, devalue someone so much, but you can't yeah. upvalue people uh, who, who can't do it. So, so yeah, we kind of get the worst of both worlds here. So, I don't know. I'm still glad to see Dusty here. I know he has with Savage, with DiBiase. I hope we see him with Boss Man at some point. Um, maybe, even if we have to do it through bonus footage, I'm determined yeah. to find that if we can. Absolutely. But uh, there will be very good Dustin or Dusty stuff, it, but this ain't it. Don't watch this. Just skip yeah. it. It's not good. Jimmy Hart hits Honky Tonk Man with a guitar. Uh, we get an elbow and a pin. Dusty Rhodes not only out-dances him, but he out-wrestles him. <laughs> After the match, Sean Mooney takes a note from Gene Okerlund, shoves a mic in the face of the loser, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we do a little comedy bit where Honky Tonk Man is dazed and he thinks he has to play a concert and he's Elvis or something. So This was called Concussion that. Protocol in 89. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just stick a mic in his face so he knows who he is and, you know, yes. we'll go from there. Absolutely. Gene Okerlund is with Demolition and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And, my God, Hacksaw has lost himself in the Demolition. Oh, my God. He, Duggan, um, for being a, a simple man with no substance, he has a lot of uh, accoutrements here. He, he's wearing the crown and the cape. He's also wearing a, a weird Demolition mask. He's got paint under that mask. He's got his two by four, but it's all painted patriotically. And it also is wearing a crown and all of that. And he's still Jim Duggan. So that's a lot of effort for Jim Duggan. So here we are. Yeah, I didn't realize how impressionable he was. But, man, he's run off with every gimmick that WWF has produced in the 1980s. Uh, We'll see him again a little bit later because we do have a big six-man tag. But, of course, those three are raring to go and they want to beat somebody up. Man, I wish they had tagged with anybody besides Duggan, because on paper, that match looks exciting to me, because it's Andre the Giant, Big Boss Man, and Akeem versus Demolition, and unfortunately, the sixth man is Duggan, and just if it were somebody else, it would have been better. I'll just say that. Spoiler alert. Probably not surprising to anybody, so... I actually, too, I enjoyed it. Like, I didn't like the beginning or the end, and in the middle, I forgot Duggan was in it, and it started going well, so. <laughs> it's not a bad match. Like, it has some good stuff in it, but uh, it's a mixed bag because, yeah. like you said, there's just some extreme Duggan-isms in there where he takes over the match, and it's just, unless you really like that kind of thing, it's just not fun, in my opinion. Yeah. So we're back at the ring with an undefeated uh, streak versus a former undefeated streak. We got Mr. Perfect going one-on-one with the Red rooster well at least we know the former was deserving in this case um i always associate mr perfect with bobby heenan even though he's actually a long way from teaming up with him still uh it takes surprisingly long for them to get together but uh i like to think mr perfect is here to get some retroactive revenge for bobby against this uh, stupid red rooster 
I will allow that narrative. That's great. <laughs> uh, so Tony Schiavone lies. He's got that in common with the baby faces, at least. He lies and says it's a great year for Terry Taylor. It's not a great year if you only beat the Brooklyn Brawler and uh, Bobby Heenan in matches. That's not a great year, Tony. So uh, And Bobby was injured. And Bobby was injured as well. So here we have this man who was still limited, who still, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't do anything, even with Bobby Heenan moving mountains to help him. So he's going to fight here, and he's going to do exactly as well as you would expect him to. Mr. Perfect um, trounces him in every way, in my opinion. This is this is yeah. one thing. Uh, he does a drop kick that's so good that even Tony, and I'll give him credit here, he, he, he like, shouts, that was awesome. And he, mm. he showed, like, a real emotion for a moment. It was much better than a lot of what he did here. Yeah. I also love the perfect play. They're on the outside of the ring. Perfect gets in first. Uh, Red Rooster comes in lazily through the through the middle rope, and he just, like, bends over and walks right into a perfect play. So a very smart uh, ending by Mr. Perfect on that Absolutely. regard. Absolutely, yes. Um, it's a very short match. You can call it a great match, but it's a very effective squash, and it goes exactly the way it should have gone. So I, I'm a fan of it. It's also, to this day, I see in comment sections, oh, well, Lex Luger didn't really slam Yokozuna. That was a hip toss. That was the worst slam of all time, SummerSlam 1993. Well, friends, we're going we're gonna to knock that horrible narrative out of its number one spot because four years before that, the Red Rooster attempted to slam Mr. Perfect, and Mr. Perfect fell on him. That's the new Summer Slam Slam. Least Luger got him up and down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was so strange. Perfect didn't even do anything to prop oh. that. He just picked him up and fell down with Perfect on top of him. So I'll, I'll give credit to Ventura, I think it was, who just said, oh, well, he, he overcompensated for the weight of Perfect. It was a tactical error, and I assume – what they were going for so it's a nice way to frame it but it looked very odd so look at his body type i don't know if he could turn perfect <laughs> he's kind of weird he's a very uh, uh narrow but just like i don't know he, he's a he's a rectangle <laughs> <laughs> he's he's one small step up from sam houston which is not where you want to be <sighs> if you're a wrestler so it's time for red rooster to go home too yeah what is he doing here like even more so than um Honky Talk Man, I'm like, wow, you're still working here on pay-per-view? I'm shocked, but at least you're just jobbing, so here we are. Yeah, he'll be in the York Foundation eventually, so he's got to leave you. He's got to leave at some point. Yep, get out of here. Go go to a stable that's better than you deserve. That's the awesome thing, though, about being on the other side. So in WCW, the Legacy Series, we lost Michael Wall Street and got Terry Taylor. Now we're going to lose Terry Taylor and get Michael Wall Street. <laughs> You're right, we're going to lose the Red Rooster and get IRS, which I, I'm yes. definitely okay with. So Gene Arkelin is with Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan. I have come to really love this duo together. I think that they bring out the best of each other. And I like when Rick Rude, whether it's character or wrestling, gets out of the singularity of what he is. It's, it's nice. I'm not the biggest fan of Rick Rude, but I think he's been maybe a little overly abused on this show. And he brought it on himself. But it's nice for me to hear you... Uh, Liking Rick Rude a little bit more. I, I like to hear that. When he turns up the heat, like, he he has the potential to be great, but it's just, I think he overly relies on, you know, what he looks like, what his gimmick is, and what his uh, wrestling style is, if it's not moved outside of it. 
I have, uh, when we get to his match, I have a comparison to a modern wrestler, which I think is uh, extremely apt. So I, I will bring that out a little bit later in the show, and, and we can see what we think of that. I love that. And we uh, we get that same old routine, which is, and that's not a complaint because I like it. It's the route, I think, that says promises are made to be broken, along with arms and legs and hearts. And Bobby Heenan adds, also rules are made to be broken. <laughs> I appreciate that, and it's a nice setup as well because they kind of get hoisted by their own petard here, which I yes. always really appreciate. So it's a very nice setup with Bobby Heenan just out, 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 not saying like, "Well, we'll we'll break rules, you know, we'll we'll be dirty if we need to." It's such a heel thing. It's also something that I can relate to because when you feel when you walk around the world feeling like you're never quite where you want to be, or feel like you could be, or should be, or however you want to say it, if you ever get that moment you usually go over the top and abuse it and get knocked right out of it. <laughs> Very Bobby Heenan, yeah. All right, matches, matches, matches. So we are going up to a six-man tag, which has satisfied my curiosity because one thing I have wondered about is I will freaking love Strike Force, and the Rockers, for me, have been above what I thought they were going to be, yeah. and now we somehow have meshed it all together. We had the Rockers and Tito taking on the Rougeos and Rick Martel. Yep. On paper, I think this is a very exciting six-man tag. And uh, I would say it's very good in execution. This is probably my second favorite match on the show after the opener. Um, It's funny because part of me thinks it could have been even better. There's maybe something just a little bit more that could have been done here, but it's a really good match. It's very high energy on the babyface side. It's very well worked on the heel side. I'll say, especially by Rick Martel, I will always say he was strongest as a babyface, but he shows he has some nice uh, heel capability here as well. And uh, I think even the Rougeos are solid. I always feel like I'm I'm going to like the Rougeos a little more than I do, mm-hmm. but they do very well here, and I'll, I'll definitely give them credit. So um, it's some very good stuff in this match. Yeah, I I feel a little bad because I, like I said, I read some reviews just to kind of get my idea. This matchup was definitely rated a lot lower. Uh, for me, this matchup is what the first matchup was for you. This oh, is the wow. match that I just got super engulfed by. I, and I won't even argue that it might could have been better because it depends on who you mix up with right. at different times. I think they could have done better. And again, the Rougeos, I'm the same way. It's like I always think they're going to be a little bit better than they are. Never, never, ever are they bad. No. But I don't know how much of it's the gimmick. They got to be ridiculous all the time. But <laughs> I just got so thing? lost in a lot of this. Like I love the Rockers. They do a double leapfrog, mm. double hip toss, double elbow, double kip up. All at the same time, great energy, great sequences. Uh, what? Okay, so I don't know what I even wrote because this was day one or two, but I said this match makes me want to run a wrestling company, and I don't even know what that means. Wow, this must have been the start of day two if you if you hated everything on yes. day one. <laughs> That's true, and I also said that this matchup was so good that it created a new dream match for me because. I didn't know how you could get better than this in a six man because I was enjoying it so much. And then I realized, of course, you could be it could be better because you could take the baby faces, Tito, Sean, Marty, and let them jump ship in the early 90s and enter the six man tag division and take on maybe the greatest six man team of all time in Big Josh, Dustin Rhodes and the Z-Man. 
I mean, uh, it would have been a great match. Absolutely. I really thought El Gigante was going to be in there, though. So. I wanted it to be. I, when I saw Z-Man, I almost didn't even say the note out loud. But <laughs> you go with what you got. <laughs> uh, you know, if anything, this probably would have been the best uh, place for him. Because, you know, this is the kind of match where, especially in a six-man, he probably would have been all right. But, um, uh, well, El Gigante is with us everywhere. We know that. Yes. He, he expands to the whole universe. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I have the same note you had that Martel has the same energy in this matchup as a heel that he would as a face, and I commend him greatly for that. Absolutely. He really pulls it off here. Um, a very strong performance. Probably the best performance in the match, I would say. Like He, he kind of steals the show here, and he's not even working to his greatest strength, but he is still bringing that great energy. Yeah, and it's, I think heels need to hear that. Just because you turn a heel, you don't have to lose your energy. Baby faces do not have a copyright on big energy. Absolutely not. Yeah, you need some, some at least energetic heels, and perhaps that's a, a clue to Rick Rude, who who actually maybe got that clue because he will be much more high energy in the next match. So, um, yeah, there, there's very good stuff in here. Uh, I will say on the Rougeos. They're kind of ridiculous. I almost wonder, do you think they should have been more ridiculous? Because I know we're going to get the Mountie, and I know I actually enjoyed the Mountie a lot more than the Rougeos together. It's almost like they didn't commit quite hard enough, because what are they? They're like fake immigrants or yeah. something, and it's like their gimmick doesn't make a lot of sense, and they wear sort of generic gear, and they do sort of generic heel things. They almost just needed to commit more to being like ridiculous over-the-top heels, and I, I think it would have actually served them a lot better. Yeah, I think that the generic is the right word. They look like baby faces as far as like yeah. literal baby faces, mm-hmm. and then they behave in generic heel ways. I take that point. I think that's right. Uh, especially in this era, you can't just be wearing the stupid outfits that they wear and not really have anything, you know, specific <laughs> and think that's going to pop on the same level as some of the other guys. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, uh, they looks like they should be just like a generic baby face, uh, NWA team or something. So I, they, they're, they're, they're a pair who actually maybe needed some more. Maybe that's maybe Jacques actually benefited from becoming the Mountie because I think he he's a lot more remembered now for being the Mountie than for anything he did as Jacques. So maybe I'll add him to the list with uh, Ted DiBiase. Yeah, those are the kind of comments that I usually would have, would have walked out of the room if someone started talking about. <laughs> but after watching this era, like it very well could be true because. This this is where WW if WWF is gonna make you better or make you a better fit or make you this that or the other this was the time frame where it was more likely to happen. Absolutely, I, I feel like they must have had. I'm realizing I don't know a lot about what they did before, but they must have done a lot because they're from a wrestling family and they talk about it and they're like huge in uh, Canada. And I think on some house show, Jacques will actually pin Hogan um, just yeah. because he's so big up there, you know. So that's. Uh, there, there, there's definitely something that they were big with before, and then they came here, and then they, they became something different, Jock in particular. So it's an interesting career path to look at. Absolutely. So I will just say really, really quick, uh, I love the energy. I'm an energy and pace guy again, and so the energy and pace. Shawn Michaels, when he beats people up, does the Lex Luger double arm pump to work the crowd. So I'm like, my two favorite wrestlers did the same thing. Maybe that's what I like. Good good deal there. Uh then I also said, if you just treated Rick Martel with respect and Tito with respect mm. and you honored how good they are and their history, 
Can you imagine in the early 90s having an IC division of Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, Mr. Perfect, Tito, and Martel? My God. That's with all their histories. That's beautiful, man. We'll, we'll get some of that, actually, but not, there could have been a lot more, for sure. We get some of it. Tito and, and Martel are often going to be flat. They're going to be a step above enhancement and a step below can actually do something or win a match in these kind of scenarios. Mm. If they all were at their top, man... Oh, they could have just done so much. So a big, uh, big energy match. Uh, the irony is the wrong man gets pinned, but in this moment in time, Shawn Michaels is so much like Marty Jannetty that you don't know which one's getting pinned, which is the point of the ending of the match. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, ah, it's very good stuff. I, I get Shawn Michaels, the, the arm thing. Is that the symbol for the rack? Is that what he did? It's close to that. So Lex Luger, I think Luke, Michaels did it before. I think Luger starts in the mid-90s. But the rack is where it's over, both arms are over his head, and he's symbolizing kind of the way he racks someone. The other thing is, like, your elbows are at your sides, and you got your fist, and you just pump, kind of pump your fist at your side, like, kind of super big. Okay, okay. That's, that's, that's pretty close, for sure. Um, yeah. But Luger yeah. did that, too. Luger did both of those. Oh, you you're know. right. Yep. I know what you're talking about. So Yeah. And so my favorite Luger, again, this whole night, if you want to know my takes, I am a pace and energy guy. That's why my favorite is baby. When so many prefer 80s heel Luger, my favorite is like 260 pound baby face Luger because it's all energy and explosion. So seeing that in Sean, Sean Michaels so far has pleased my wrestling senses beyond what I thought he would have done at this time. So I am very excited about the emergent stars of the 1990s. Here in 1989. I'm trying to figure out if Lex Luger and Shawn Michaels ever wrestled each other. Um, they actually did on some house shows, but I don't think ever on TV, which is a shame. I got to wonder what those matches looked like in 1995 is when they ran. So that, that mm. must be interesting. So I oh, wonder well. yeah. if there's any Coliseum videos or anything. I know you wrestled Diesel with Michaels at ringside. I don't know if we have anything with Luger and Michaels. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, we'll look for it when we get there, so that that would be a, a very interesting match to check out, especially with you on board. I would love to see that. I will tell you who threw Lex Luger out of 1995 Rumble and lost a lot of standing with me for a while, and that's Shawn Michaels. Oh, my. Okay, so they, they have some conflict uh, on, on tape, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. I didn't know this the, the language at the time, but I, I bet my thoughts. That that dirty 130-pound jobber, he can't throw Lex Luger. Lex Luger's a main eventer. He weighs 275 pounds. By God. <laughs> oh, that's, my. What a, hard, what a hard wrestling life you must have had at times. <laughs> that's, that's, I feel bad for a young mystic when I hear stuff like that. I deeply appreciate that because the reality is even worse than that because I think Lex Luger is standing on the second row punching somebody. I'm like, what idiot – Stands on the fucking second rope in a Royal Rumble with their back to the wrestlers. Yeah. Like that is like, that's my fandom with Lex Luger. It's like every single time you just do something that you don't have to do. Like who does that? But of course, Lex Luger does it and he'll pay the price, but that is many years to come, folks. I would love to see the mystic travel back in time and manage Lex Luger and just yes. uh, tell him all the things that he, he needs to know that nobody bothered to tell him. That, that would be nice to see. I would, I would, I would trade my life to do that. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. I honestly watched SummerSlam '93 probably over a hundred times, trying to figure out what went wrong. And like, 
I would just analyze it from different angles because it didn't make sense that like why is the referee still counting when Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji are on the apron and then they're in the ring beat up. There's one time where Luger grabs one of them and is about to punch them and the referee stops counting because you have to break that up. And then he just does this kind of wave that acknowledges, oh, you got this Luger. Don't worry. I'll go back to counting. <laughs> and like, I, cause it was still halfway real to me. So I was breaking down like all these things, like all these pieces of the, the system that just broke down. And that didn't make sense to me. The stuff going on, Luger celebrating. Like every time I watched it, I thought, there's got to be a piece of this puzzle that makes any of this make sense because, like, what is going on right now? Oh, that's a brutal story. That was that was um, my empathy is going very strongly right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so that folks is Silicon. Uh, is this rude and warrior stuff that we're about to get? Yeah. Yep. That yep, pose that warrior. pose down and we get that again. <laughs> <laughs> we get some better clips as well. We see Warrior press slamming Rick Rude out of. On to Andre the Giant, um, which I thought was a cool spot. Uh, yeah. I'll give credit Andre. for Andre. Yep. Um, we have uh, Rick Rude trying to do his Rude Awakening post-match kiss a girl shtick, and instead Warrior ambushes him and sucker punches him and beats him up. Mm-hmm. So take that for what you will. We also have a clip of Ultimate Warrior, and I, I forgot he did this. I don't know why he did this. He would, like, pick up his jobbers and carry them around after he beat them. So he's carrying some jobber around and Bobby Heenan shows up and he just drops the guy on his damn head. So fuck you warrior for that. That looked scary as hell. Um, but, uh, the, the setup is so Andre can appear behind him and do the Hulk Hogan choke, choke you from behind style spot. So once again, we have a little clue that warrior is, uh, coming to that same place of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and we will get Warrior and Andre Saturday Night's main event this year. We will. We will. So that, that'll be interesting. Um, also interesting, with big air quotes around it, is uh, Warrior doing an interview with Gene Okerlund, where he just sort of bellows. And if you've heard one Ultimate Warrior promo, you've literally heard them all, because I don't even know what he's saying sometimes. I actually, and I'm sorry if this is mean, I don't understand how he lived as long as he did because he looks so unhealthy when he mm. just does this promos because, like, his body is weird and he's just screaming and, like, he just looks like an unhealthy person to me. So that's that's just my impression of this little interview. You're getting to the point that I tried to make at the beginning of the show, which is, you know, I don't care how popular he is. Like... Everything that you did with Hulk Hogan was based on deep, deep, rich storytelling and character development. This, you're not even trying to do it with the Ultimate Warrior. So what was it that you thought was going to happen? Is it that we're so popular that we're post-storytelling and we can just, like, put a character in the ring? I don't I don't know. But, like, we're about to have a match and then we're going to have a Rick Rude promo that, to me, is just, like, top-notch. Warrior's going to have zero character development in all of this. He's going to be a two-time IC champion. Nothing changes. He doesn't change. Stories don't change. Nothing's richer. Nothing's deeper. It's like Ms. Van says, just the ultimate warrior doing the same promo that makes no sense one more time. Mm, yeah. We've talked a lot about guys like Jim Duggan. They almost don't need anyone else to be around them because they're just going to do like they're going to yell the same things. And they're just going to do the same things. I, I don't know. To me, Ultimate Warrior is very much in that. Like he gets interviewed, but it's not like he answers any questions. Not like he says anything which makes any sense. Um, it's just, 
just loud noises signifying nothing, uh, to paraphrase a quote. So, Okay, here's a question for you. Sure. How much is the Ultimate Warrior's fault and how much is WWF? Because if we have said that this is a narrative-based error, it means it's a relational-based error, whether it's Hogan Heenan, Hogan Andre, Hogan Savage, so on and so forth. Uh, how much is it that you know he's not bringing out the story because of what his promos are? And how much is it that he's just not getting good stories like Hulk Hogan got? It's a complicated question, and I can see potential blame on both sides, but it may well be just on one or the other. On the one hand, um, you look at what Ultimate Warrior is doing, and I certainly wouldn't think, I need to give this guy a nuanced storyline. Like, what would he do with it? You know, you'd be like a dog that caught a car was yeah. chasing it. Like, it would just be a pointless, sad exercise. Um, but, uh, clearly there's some way to do it because eventually we'll have warrior versus savage. So where is a storyline like that, that is plotted out to help the ultimate warrior? Like if they were really serious about this, you can do something. It's possible. And right now there's not really any effort into it. So I don't know. I think maybe there is failing on both sides. A warrior is not showing him capable of those stories and WWF is not, putting in the effort to create stories that will benefit him. Or maybe they think they are because they're like, okay, go beat up Rick Rude and that'll be your story. And that's what you're yeah. capable of as a storyteller. So I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. I would love to know a little bit more about that. How much is we're protecting the ultimate warrior because he can't really do anything story wise. And how much is it? Maybe even that as long as the character is just over, like do they think they're going to reach an era where they are bigger than than having to tell story. You know, like who who wants to put in the work when the ultimate warrior can get cheered just as much just by having this typical, you know, promo slash run to the ring slash destroy opponent. It's crazy if they were thinking that way, because they had Hulk Hogan, who was more popular than Warrior will ever be, uh, at his peak, which were arguably already a little bit past. But if there was anyone you hardly needed to tell those stories with, it would have been Hulk Hogan. And yet, look at all the effort put in, and look at how much it paid off. Just, like, incredibly paid off. So I don't know how, just, like, a, a, a months removed from Hogan versus Savage, which was a beautiful story, we have Ultimate Warrior, who's heading to the top, and they're just like, eh, we don't really need to do anything. Or just Ultimate Warrior can just be Ultimate Warrior, and it'll be fine. So... I don't know. I do remember having a strong impression when Ultimate Warrior is champion that kind of similar to Randy Savage, they're just not really going to give him very much to do. They're not going to give him hot angles. They're not going to give him hot stories. But then the question occurs again. Yeah, did they do it? What was the reason? Did they not think Ultimate Warrior was capable of it? Was it just, you know, they were just waiting for Hulk Hogan again? I have no idea, but it is interesting to look at. There's also something that, whether it's Hogan, Flair, Bret Hart, lots of other guys, like, you can like or not like Hogan versus Honky Tonk Man, you can like or not like Hogan and Beefcake versus Zeus and Randy Savage, but if you watch those things, Hulk Hogan, in almost every clip, every moment, is doing something that says, I am an alive human being in a certain angle, behaving a certain way for a certain reason. You get zero of that no matter what Warrior is in. Like, I know Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan do not want to lose their belt. I don't even know if Warrior wants to win the belt. I know it's supposed to be a feud. I don't know if Warrior really knows it's a feud. Like, it is the <laughs> same thing from Warrior's point of view as anything that we have watched for the entirety of the series. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I would say one of the times like Hulk Hogan will, will reach a, a terrible low point in his career. We're already yeah. sort of a little bit on that path and he will kind of become the same thing where he's just like spouting the same catchphrases and the same attitude and every, like nothing will impact yep. him anymore. And he'll just be um, sort of this, this generic Hulk Hogan at all times and nothing can affect him. So, you know, don't go in that direction. Or if you're ultimate warrior, don't, always exist in that place you know so it, it's a fair critique if you're if you, you might feel like overkill if you're listening but not only have are we crowning warrior a two-time ic champion but this has to be at least historically kind of him st- stepping up to the starting line of what's going to run through wrestlemania which is if it's not the biggest put over in wrestling history it is damn close to the biggest uh push that you could be given is babyface Hulk Hogan falling to another babyface on a WrestleMania stage. So I'm not even starting to hold him accountable to that. I'm just trying to hold him accountable to being a decent two-time babyface IC champion right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it feels like a long way to go still. Um, but here he is, yep, and he has the worker's belt, that intercontinental title, which, yeah, that <laughs> is just silly. So, mm-hmm. Oh, man. Major ovation, I will get I said that before, but I got it in the notes here, is a big, big-time ovation for the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, no, I, I can't deny that. I won't try to deny it. Warrior is very over. Um, and I'll say this. I think I predicted this because I've seen this match before. I came in. This has got to be the best Warrior-Rick Rude match that I think you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. It's not an amazing match like in my all-time list of matches, but by Warrior standards, this is almost miraculous. So, I mean, if nothing else, you can at least say that this match proved that Warrior can be carried to a good match. I mean, that's like a low bar, but it's definitely something that happened here. And I think it grows into it, and I think it's almost all rude because... Yes. The beginning, it's, it's something very video game-like in the beginning. Rude is getting just bounced and... You know, in a way that is, to me, is a bit absurd. I think Root is going to be the one who's going to bring in the layers. He's going to bring in the nuance. And again, maybe Warrior is just doing his job because all we want you to do is kind of like early Bill Goldberg is just stand there and look good. But I don't know how to parse what is Warrior in WWF. So I can just say, you know, one person was working in a way that made me want to watch and the other one was in the ring with him. Oh, man, I would say. 20 matches into his career, I think Goldberg had surpassed this Ultimate Warrior. That's just my um, personal opinion. Um, so if anyone hates me for it, I apologize. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I feel like you almost need that early stuff where Rick Root is just, like, bounced around because that, like, I, it just feels essential to, like, what's going to work with the Ultimate Warrior. You need to have yeah. that. And it almost needs to be a little absurd because Warrior is a little bit absurd. So you need to use that. But then, yes, the match actually goes on and matures as it goes along and uh, is better for that. I I don't know for sure that I would say this, but this might be the second best Ultimate Warrior match after uh, the WrestleMania Randy Savage match, or at least my second favorite singles Warrior match. And you would never expect it with the opponent and what we've seen so far. But you know what? It really worked. You know, it's not great, but it's actually good, which is a nice accomplishment. Yeah, and it's accomplishing a lot. Like, it's putting Ultimate Warrior over mm. in another big way, but it's also it's frustrating Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan in a way that brings out the best of them. So I think it's paying off for everybody involved. Yeah, so I think it really is, for sure. Um, 
It was an interesting bet on the match. I think it's early on. Maybe this is uh, part and parcel to the absurdity you mentioned. Warrior press slams Rick Rude out to the floor, which is just a cool spot no matter who does it. So, again, I'll give some credit there. Uh, probably the best thing about Ultimate Warrior is his love of uh, military press slams, which, yes, which yes. is cool. <laughs> yes. Um, but Warrior Rude goes out to the floor. Warrior follows him, and uh, he hits him with the title belt. And this is what Tony Schiavone... He says, well, it's okay, because they're outside the ring. And Jesse Ventura just blows up at him and roasts him and says he's so stupid and he's worse than Gorilla Monsoon and Vince McMahon. And he deserves it, because what a stupid thing to say. Like, even by all the standards of babyface privilege that we've talked about so far, to just make up a stupid on its face excuse like that man he deserved to get absolutely destroyed for that and he did so Ventura's out there doing his job yes and like I said they were filling each other out so they were kind of being nice to each other and then after that one like you say it's like you're even dumber than Monsoon and I think Jesse was Jesse was done at that Tony had marked himself <laughs> I don't think Tony took that very well either to be honest so uh, yeah. you know, I, I feel like they were more strained through the rest of the show. So. The credit I will give Tony Schiavone is just sitting there and calling the whole show because does anybody in the world want to be the guy trying to take the pay-per-view seat from Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse R. Vince McMahon and just like fill that role? And you just got there. Because, so just the fact, like, I think he gets some accomplishment just from doing the three-hour show and not running away. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose so. It's a lot to take on, and uh, he, he does make it through the whole night. So, oh, boy. it's so Something weird. else I, I hate, some... because it's almost yeah. like Warrior's not a human being. Oh, we can't hurt him. You know, <laughs> so then he has to get crushed on the ropes because, oh, well, he's very human there. You know, that's the only way you can hurt <laughs> the ultimate warrior. He has those human uh, testicles still, apparently. Yeah, fuck what off. do you think about... <laughs> Um, we've talked a lot in the past about space element. I think Ultimate Warrior looking ahead has been like, well, he must be a space element guy. How do you feel about that? Do you still feel like that's accurate? And that's, um, yeah, t- tell me about that. I think he might be space element if he co- if he comes from a very stupid place that we don't know about. <laughs> because space element should bring something to Earth that whether you like it or you don't like it, you're like, oh my God, I'm blown away. Like, you know, you just showed me something that doesn't exist. Like, I feel something I've never felt. And, oh, God. Because as a kid, I think there's so many Ultimate Warrior fans. I think I like the Ultimate Warrior at some point. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe he brought something. But as an adult, it's like he is supposed to be the space element. But like I said, it would have to. it's almost like one, a really bad comedy, you know, where, like, oh, he came from this place. But it's like, a, you know, like I said, a really stupid place. That's the only way I can see it right now. <laughs> From a planet where they just yell nonsense all day and um, and look 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 like that, so that wouldn't be a planet for me. So I get it. All right, thank you. That's interesting. The thing, thing about the great like not just ministers but cult leaders mm. like who 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 lead people pretty much to forsake their lives and sometimes end up dead by the end of it. You know whatever it is that they are bringing, whether it's good, bad, or deeply, deeply ugly. It's like, oh, my God, there's a magnetism and there's a delivery of message. And Warrior might have the magnetism. That's 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 subjective. But as of this point, he doesn't have a message. And I just don't think you can come from another place and arrive 
and not have something that I at least say, oh, my God, can I see that? Because I'm never going to see it again in any other context because you brought it from afar. Hmm. Absolutely. I'll say this. If he's supposed to replace Hulk Hogan, he's doing a great job of showing that what Hulk Hogan does is a lot harder than it looks. Um, Because, yeah, it's not happening so far. Yeah, and even the slipping in that little Warriors thing, like it's like this is why I think WWF has to be responsible somewhat because, and this is like why Hulk Hogan will be bad in WCW and in early '90s in WWF because it was never just the Hulkamaniacs. It's you know we condemned him for what he puts the Hulkamaniacs through, but my God, what a message, what a story, what what weight to behold if you're a part of that, what urgency to show up, what immediacy, what necessity of the fans to be there. Mm-hmm. All of that is story through Hulk Hogan. And now we're just going to say little warriors. So they're little, <laughs> you know, so it's the same thing. I hit Hulk Hogan, it's little warriors, little stingers. It's all the same. No, 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 it's not the same. It's really not. And also, I I don't think I've heard Ultimate Warrior mention Little Warriors mm-hmm. ever. I think people are doing oh. that for him. I don't know if he's aware that there are people around him. So mm-hmm. that's a great point. I'm sure somewhere he does it. We're not we're not going out of our way. But I thought the same thing. The times we've heard it has been his opponents bringing it up. Mm-hmm. How will we be able to tell when he does say it? I can't stress enough how hard I find him to understand. And I'm not like I can make out the words if I try, but even if I do, like nothing about them, they yes. don't connect in a way like it's a word salad. So what am I listening for? Like this is just it's so not my kind of thing. And I can understand on some level why it was popular, but man, it is like repellent to me, to be honest. Yeah, and at its best, it was never going to be more than a burst of energy. Yeah. You know, it had to be a flash in the pan. It had to be here today and gone tomorrow because, like you said, you can sit and listen to the words and parse them out, but then you feel deflated because they don't connect to anything. Whereas every time Hulk Hogan threatens the life of the Hulkamaniacs, I know damn well why he's doing it because he's telling a big story. He's doing it energetically. But at the end of the day, the message is you have one savior. And if you forsake him, you all will just fall into the earth because I only save you if we're all in it to like our death. And I understand like rhetorically, he is trying to really say the most important thing that you could ever do as a fan is to be here because you're not just a fan. You are like in this the same way I'm in it. I know exactly what he's doing, whether you like or not how he's doing it. But if you if you parse out what Warrior's saying, he's talking to himself about something that nobody else understands and he might not understand that begins and ends with him and never works its way outside of him. Mm, yeah, I'll say this on this show. There's a Hogan promo later. And when I was watching, I sort of zoned out. and I realized I didn't know what he said. And I actually went back and I listened to it again. And I would never do that. For an Ultimate Warrior mm. promo, because what would the point possibly be? <laughs> like, I know his promo before he says it. He doesn't even have to say it. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't even have to show up. He can just stay away. <sighs> I'll say this. He's making his former partner look a lot better by comparison. Um, Sting uh, yeah. did a lot better <laughs> with, with, with the chance he got. And he didn't do great either. But, man, there's a reason that Sting, you know, was around for, like, 30 years. And Ultimate Warrior is around for, like two and then a few failed comebacks so and we, we once got a compliment i think from one of the podcasters who uh it was something about like what makes our show is the notes that we take uh before the show begins and i just realized that now that you've said this that i don't know in the history of wwf the legacy series 
if I've recorded a single word out of the mouth of the ultimate warrior. I have it. I know I have it. That's that's not to be overlooked, right? Yeah, absolutely not. That's embarrassing. Hacksaw has words on the page in this WWF The Legacy Series. Bruce Beefcake has words. We've quoted Bruce Beefcake promos. I, I did because I'm thinking right now. I know Warrior hit a promo on this show. I do believe. I, I yeah, think. he did right before this match. He came out and he's bellowed near Gene Okerlund. So not, not a word, you know, not a single word because there's they are the they are empty and hollow. Man, you need you gotta step it up, my friend. Like this is this is not working. And it, it, I'm gonna hit the panic button soon. If we get the Survivor Series and he still ain't doing nothing, you gotta step it up because we got WrestleMania six, and this is WrestleMania six is unprecedented. Yeah, you know, it's, it's babyface, babyface in an enormous building, and now we have this idea that it could have been Dusty Rhodes and Hulk Hogan in a beautiful fantasy world. Other than clothesline, double clothesline Hulk Hogan at the Royal Rumble or whatever the hell you're gonna do. What are you going to do? Because right now you're still zero on the scoreboard. That is unacceptable, friend. <sighs> yep. We're well, not doing well for us. So uh, so if you love him, great for you. For us, yeah, he's, he's batting about zero right now. Um, whew, let's talk about the other guy. But let's talk about Rick Rude, though. I promised yes. I would say something about Rick Rude. Um, and I got to say, he's very good in this match. He's very motivated. He bumps and feeds very well. He structures the match. He does add those layers. So Rick Rude, very good when motivated. Um, not much to speak of when not. I just realized, is Rick Rude the precursor to Randy Orton, maybe? Mm. They both have a very high ceiling, and they both often forsake it for the sake of, of sitting in chin locks. Um, so, I don't know. Everyone can just think about that. I thought uh, I felt a strong connection when I thought of that. So, consider it for what you will. When you tease, I've never had that thought in my life, but when you teased the very little that you did, I thought, Rick Rude and Randy Orton. <laughs> you know, it just came to my mind. Because <laughs> the there, my God. <laughs> there's something there, you know, there's something in that vein. For me, Randy Orton is the, one of the few guys that I have enjoyed in the 20 years that has kind of made me watch. And I know a lot of times he's been stale. So for me, I think there's more good Randy Orton for me than Rude. And I know some people might disagree, and that's fine. But I also think that you're exactly right, that I know what their mail it, uh, phoning it in match is, and I'm not interested in ever watching it. But when they get outside of it, they both have a mean streak, an ugly streak that – I both want to look away from and look at at the same time. Uh, that's um, that's pretty much spot on, and I'll even I'll definitely agree. Um, it probably sounds like sometimes I hate Randy Orton, and I really don't. I think he has a lot of great stuff in his career, maybe even more than he gets credit for. He also has a lot of crap that sometimes yeah. he doesn't get called on. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, he had a lot longer career and a yes. lot more opportunities to work with people who might actually motivate him. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there is more good Randy Orton stuff than Rick Rude stuff, my opinion, as always. But, uh, but yeah, there, there's a strong connection there, I think. Uh, two guys who I think, if they were motivated all the time, would be much more in the conversation of, like, wow, this guy was absolutely incredible. Like, could have been top of the business, maybe. So um, I, I wouldn't say about that about either one of them with their with the careers that they actually had. But it could have been. It feels like it could have been. 
it makes me wonder too are they both so just freaking gifted mm. that they take themselves for granted yeah uh, well, i love this comparison because i can't connect many things from this era to that era so you've done a you've done a You've done the Lord's work today, Ms. Fan. <laughs> Hooray, yay. I'm glad. <laughs> okay, so good stuff. You have Rude outside of his box, Bobby Heenan. You also don't want to follow up Mr. Singular Ultimate Warrior with someone like Roddy Piper. <laughs> yes, Roddy Piper, a period ringside late in this match. He has conflict with Rick Rude because Roddy Piper has been added to primetime wrestling, which puts him in conflict with Bobby Heenan which has brought Rick Rude onto the show, and they have had conflicts, so some interesting stuff there. Perhaps even spiraling out of the uh, conflict Heenan and Monsoon had earlier in the year, which set up primetime as more of a battlefield. Um, We have uh, Roddy Piper distracting Rick Rude. He moons him. He's got nothing on under his kilt, so... That's, uh, I mean, that's very on brand for Piper, I think. That's the way he would have done it. Warrior, um... Warriors up? I don't know if that's what you call it. He hooks up, basically, and he does regain the Intercontinental title. Yes. Uh, yeah, he wins the matchup. Uh, he gets to move on to wherever he's going. Rick Rude moves on to maybe an interesting storyline. So <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in it. Uh, Roddy Piper, um, his comeback at WrestleMania was very much a letdown, but it was also sort of a one-off. It kind of barely existed in the canon of Roddy Piper things. It was like a side celebrity segment. So in general, I am a fan of Roddy Piper. He's got his downside, but uh, from what I remember, there is some pretty interesting stuff in this feud. So I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting it. Yeah, no, it just hit me that, you know, not only was Rude better in the match, but Rude is instantly going into an interesting storyline. And I, again, I have no idea where Ultimate Warrior goes from here. So Yeah, very true. I actually don't know. What bridge? Oh wait, yeah, Andre. I mean, we know that because of what we know. So that that'll be the next thing for him, I guess. We need to kind of, if we can find it. You know, is there any? Are there any promos? Like, is there any story, or is it just a matchup? You know, because I would like to know how does Andre talk about Warrior? How does Warrior talk about Andre? Because right here, like, I don't even know what to compare this to. So obviously this is not the same Andre of WrestleMania three, but you're still getting Andre the giant to run through. So again, not only are you getting WrestleMania six, but you're getting Andre to run through on Saturday night's mini event. Like how much better can it get for you? And so what will you extract from such opportunities? I, I'm afraid of telling this story the wrong way. And again, I don't even know if it's true or not because you never know what's true with these stories, but supposedly um, Andre is a guy they would kind of use when they sort of wanted to get a guy in line. And everyone was sort of like, if you were in the ring with Andre, you had to be a little bit afraid of him because he was so big and he might, you know, you know, rough you up. And we saw it with Randy Savage. Supposedly he roughed him up a little, the baby oil, of course. Supposedly, Andre tried to do that with Ultimate Warrior. And it sort of broke the image of Andre to people because Warrior didn't really put up with it very well and they have some very awkward stiff matches where they're not Mm. cooperating that well and because Andre was so broken down he couldn't really handle Warrior like that so Mm. it's kind of a tipping point for Andre it's a weird situation with Warrior and further I think shows how weird this guy is and just that he would like run headlong into this situation with Andre. So I don't know. I think there's going to be some weird awkwardness in there. I'm very hesitant to look 
for Ultimate Warrior promos, but I will keep an eye out and for Andre as well. So if you see anything also, please feel yes. free to pitch it as bonus content because this is going to be one of the weirder storylines out there if you kind of look behind the curtain, I think. I might have to do the worst thing of all time, which is, listen, if, if there's a something to wrestle about the Ultimate Warrior, which there has to be, I think, early in the series. Oh, boy. I've got to listen to 80, uh, 88, 89, 90 because I need to know what they're thinking. I need to know. Like, Shawn Michaels is also is going to behave horribly at times sure. where, where he's getting a push. And it's something almost that when Vince McMahon makes up his mind about something, you cannot do wrong. Yeah. Diesel, we're going to see this with Diesel. Like, Diesel was not the guy, and he should not have been the guy, and he was never the guy. Uh, Bruce Pritchard was talking about, like, Sean and Diesel were teaming up, and they were being cheered. And to Pat Patterson and uh, Pritchard, the fans wanted to like Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. And Vince McMahon, all he saw was it's Diesel. They're cheering Diesel. Diesel is the guy, and they could not shake him off of that narrative. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like Warrior is already the guy. And whether he does well or does poorly does not matter. That like the lens is set. Vince McMahon has decided, and the Warrior is the guy. But by God, you, I don't care if it's a broken down Andre. You've got Andre the Giant. Yeah. You better take advantage in some way. Mm. Yeah. So anything you find, let me know, and I will keep an eye out as well, loath as I am, to add any <laughs> Ultimate Warrior content to the show. But uh, yeah, it's it's a bizarre time. Um. I, I don't know. I do know this. I remember what Ultimate Warrior does at Survivor Series, and I actually remember liking that match a lot. So uh, we'll we'll not really because of Warrior, but we'll we'll have fun with that when we get there. I think. I'm excited about that because I I have become a huge Rockers fan, which should not be a surprise because I'm a Michaels fan, but it is a surprise because I didn't think I would be. And I was looking over that card, and there was Warrior in that match. So I'm very interested in, like, the energy and pace and style and, of that and, and how that goes down. They very much have the same vibe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's there's something there. Something's going on. That's also going to be interesting. Like, how does Warrior's match stack against Hogan's? Because Hogan's, I think, a mid-card match, and Warrior's a main-event matchup. Yeah, the structure of that card is weird from what I remember. So we'll we'll wait and see what that looks like when we get there. Absolutely. Sean Mooney is in the crowd. They took the, I love Sean Mooney, but he just seems like someone who should not be around the people. So of course we put him in the crowd with the people. Uh, and they're all grabbing him, like physically just grabbing him while he's trying to announce that would be hell for me, but good job. Sean Mooney. Gene Oakland is with Mr. Perfect. There'll never be anything like it again. And that red rooster was his stepping stone. Yep, we're going to see bigger things for Mr. Perfect eventually, um, and maybe maybe not too long now before we see some of those. So he's going to get another manager before Bobby Heenan, so I don't know too much about that pairing. It'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. Gene Oakland's with Roddy Piper. What does a Scotsman wear under his kilt? His shoes. <laughs> uh, and this is why this is what makes Gene Oakland so great, because his reaction to this, and he's like, you can't ask me that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's so great. Like, it's so understated. And uh, nobody else, any other um, interviewer would have butchered that. Like, they would have no idea what to do with that. And here's Gene Okerlund, and he's just so goddamn good. So more yeah. more credit to Gene Okerlund. And, uh, and Roddy Piper, yes, he's he's acting as insane as you think he might. But, uh, you know, it's it's not WrestleMania. It's, it's you know, kind of a little bit better Piper stuff. So 
Absolutely. This is pretty good Piper stuff because it's just so Piper the way that he is. Yep. And he puts over Warrior big time, which blows my mind because he mm-hmm. he will go out of his way to put Bret Hart over in Bret Hart's Ascension. He's putting Ultimate Warrior over. So he seems like a guy that once they have a guy, Riley Piper just swings around to put his stamp on it to try to help kind of push them along. So Piper... Well. It's one thing to just kind of throw out a comment and they say, hey, say something nice about the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, okay, all right. I say a million <laughs> things a minute, so why not? Um, Bret Hart, that's a different thing because he will, he will actually go out and um, give a huge boost to Bret Hart. Yes. Obviously deserved it a lot more than Ultimate Warrior. So I don't want to put those two things together. But, yes, yeah, certainly Roddy capable of being a team player when he wanted to be. But I think it matters, though, in this era. Sure. To hear baby faces start talking about other baby faces like that. Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, isolated. Yeah, Piper is not someone who would say as much about Hogan. I I think Piper would be happy to put anybody over (laughs) that's not Hulk Hogan. Like, there's a Piper and Ventura have this, I think, very healthy rivalry with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, well, he's got all that history with Hogan, uh, both on and off screen. So, yeah, he probably wouldn't have done that. Warrior... I don't know if they ever interacted very much, and certainly mm. I think Piper would have avoided working with him, if at all possible. He just seems like he wouldn't need the aggravation past a certain point in his career. So, yeah. yeah. That is fair. Okay, so we got uh, Ronnie. <laughs> oh, God, this is good stuff. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so is Ronnie Garvin... With Gene Oakland at this time? He is, yeah. They do a whole kind of slew of these interviews where people just walk in and out with Gene Oakland. Okay. So, yes, Ron Garvin is there in a tuxedo. He says he's got something special to do tonight, and we'll learn all about that in a match or two. Okay, and then we got Heenan and Rudy. To me, this is a promo to watch. The, the, oh, yeah. this is, this is, we talked about last week the celebration that the family had. That was like peak when you win championships, what it should be like. And this is peak what a promo should be like when you lose a championship. Yeah, this is beautiful. Bobby Heenan blows in. He's out of breath. He's yelling about Piper and about Warrior and about everything. Rick Rude joins him as well. And he's a great, really pissed off promo that's far above. Yeah, the little, like, I'll do a pun and a kiss and, you know, like, okay, yes. whatever. But this, this is actually very good. This shows the range that Rick Rude was capable of. It does. Uh, Gene Erickson says, settle down. Bobby Heenan instantly says, settle down for what? And he just explodes. Rick Root explodes. And then he says at the end, just with it, uh, he showed his ask Bobby what it happened. <laughs> so good. Oh, uh, that's great. And that's another line that could have been butchered because it's a little cheesy when you look at yeah. it, but it's delivered so perfectly. You would never, you know, you'd have to think about, oh, that was also like a pun, but it also like, you know, yes. it, it fit the situation very well. So it's great. And I think nobody is better in wrestling history at freaking out about a loss than Bobby Heenan. And you really mm-hmm. can't overstate how important that is. Especially if you look at the modern era, what do people complain about with guys like Cena? Um, if he loses, it doesn't matter. It means nothing. Yeah. Like he won't react to it. He won't have a problem with it. And it's not just him. It's a lot of people. Uh, and it's not unique to this era either. You know, it's happened uh, across a lot of history. But, man, treating a loss like it really means something ups the stakes so much. Because if you lose and it means nothing, who cares if you lose? But if you lose and it means the world, if it prompts a huge reaction, if it creates the next step of the story, 
then that's that's really important. So I got to give huge credit to the talent of Bobby Heenan for making these losses seem really, really important. Absolutely. I have said a million times, if I find myself caring about what happens more than the character I'm watching, I'm not watching that show. Mm. And I will stand by that. Nobody out does Bobby Heenan. Like, it's so it's so hard to watch this. And like, what does the IC title mean if it causes people to act like this? And you're right. Like, people lose the world title a hundred times, and all 100 reactions don't equal up to how Bobby Heenan reacts after losing the IC title here. Oh, it is absolutely great. I remember when he was in AWA, um, Nick Bockwinkle lost the world title in one match, and they purposely didn't tell Bobby Heenan beforehand that it was going to happen just so that they could get, like, his reaction in the moment. So that tells you, like, people are thinking about Bobby Heenan's reactions through the years and how they can be bigger and how they can be, like, more in the moment, even more so. And I got to believe he takes those experiences and he applies them here because it's just so big and it means a lot and it catches your eye and you got to think, wow, like, if he feels this way, what what, what is he going to do next? Like, what's going to happen? So it's great stuff. Yeah, I think I was listening to Austin and Jim Cornette talk about what it used to mean to be a champion where you had to carry a brand like you you had the you're responsible for the pay people got because either you brought people in or you didn't Mm. and kind of they're not knocking the wrestlers, but the era that we're in where the wrestlers don't matter as much as the brand, you know, the belts are lost so often Like they were just pondering like I don't know if people today uh, know what it feels like to have to be a champion in the sense that what it used to be to be a champion. I don't think they do. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there has been such a big emphasis on like, this is what the brand is. Um, I think you probably get it still in some places more than others, but yeah, in some places it's very much like, you know, this is the kind of wrestling we produce and that is more important than, uh, who our champion is. So it's a shame, you know, there's some benefit I'm sure, but you lose those, mega stars that were created in this time to some degree you don't get them in the same way yeah and that's for me that it doesn't work i remember when pentagon became champion in a place called lucha underground that only Miz fan and i have ever watched it was a great (laughs) place though like i felt anxiety like can he live up to his popularity and be the kind of champion that he ought to be like it every week i watch with trepidation about can he do that or not I want to feel like that, and I want to feel like the wrestler feels like that. God, that was great. I miss that so much. Every day I think about that. It's not fair. Okay. It's not. Well, it was probably our fault because if we were the only two watching it, we probably should have told somebody about it. (laughs) I told everybody. God. Uh, Every week I talk about Lucha Underground on the podcast, and oh, God. (laughs) Oh, I I still never stop telling everybody about that. So don't put it on me, for God's sake. Did you explain where to watch it and how to watch it? Because they might not like if they just hear like Lucha Underground. Is that wrestling? Is that something? What is Lucha Underground? I tried so hard. It wasn't your fault though. Like who knew that nobody had heard of it? It's so weird. It's like there was a yeah. Now I'm in pain. Now I'm selling the loss. For God's sake, I feel it deep down. Oh. It was not your fault, Miss Van. Thank you. I appreciate it. But it was not their fault either. That's this is ah, God, whose fault was it? I don't know, but huh, could they have done better? No, they could not have. And maybe that is what their problem was, because 
I don't know. I've heard, I've heard people say like, oh, like if they ever have a medicine that's over the counter and it works, it actually makes you does what it's supposed to do. They end up pulling it out. It's like you can't be but so good at your job. You can't deliver but so much. And if you do, you just got to go like get that, get that off. Like we don't deliver on this level. It sets a bad precedent. It makes everything else that's not delivering have to either step up and God knows we're not doing that. Was it a dream that we just had? And like now we're talking about it again. And nobody's heard of it. Did it actually happen? Was it was it witchcraft? Was there magic? Did we <laughs> fall into a portal? I don't know the answer to these questions. Uh, the stars, pay attention, please. The stars of Lucha Underground are now on every national television show that you could see. Like they are just filling every other company and they were a lot of them were nobody before that so like if you want to talk about a place that actually created stars created buzz i don't care if they got canceled i don't care i don't care about anybody who didn't like it those people are dumb and they're wrong it was the best thing ever and um it was so good for everyone involved and i will miss it forever yes they were a space element that came from a much better place than the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, my God. This, yes. Yes. From the best part of space. For yeah. God's sake. Because that is like, – they both feel like they came from afar, but look what Lucha Underground left us. Ugh. That was – folks, 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 folks. That was one of the most beautiful places that that's ever existed in the history of wrestling. And – Again, I feel like in part, if you want to say that WCW kind of continued WWF, I think another successor of the era that we're in is Lucha Underground because the characters were just as big as 80s WWF, and I don't say that lightly. Man, if you ever, Lucha Underground was the, like, it actually did what no other promotion has been able to do. It took that spirit and made it actually better. It didn't imitate it. It didn't mm. just uh, continue it. It took that spirit and it said, hey, look, we can make it even better. And it will kill me forever that it wasn't appreciated the way it should be. So, God, oh, I get worked up just thinking about it. Yeah, I, I mean, when I'm not watching wrestling, some of the loves of my life has been some great fantasy stories, some great role playing games. And like those are always been separate from wrestling. Like these are all things I love because story and character development. But these are like very fantastical, very magical but Lucha Underground was the best of professional wrestling and the best of fantasy and the best of RPGs and the best of any other world that's out there that does those things. Yeah. Man, it, it, if you've ever read a book or watched a movie, that when you come out of it, you don't know where you've been. You don't know what the weather is outside. You don't know what day of the week it is. You don't halfway know who you are, how old you are, or where you're coming from. That is what it felt like to dip yourself into the world of Lucha Underground. Whew. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe when we finish this in like a few years, maybe then we need to do Lucha Underground, the Legacy Series, just yeah. to reacquaint people with how friggin' great it was. Because, man, everybody ought to know, for God's sake. All right, that's all I got. The only thing that would have made it better is if Andre the Giant was alive and was randomly sitting in the crowd one night. <laughs> you imagine him in one of those backstage scenes or just shouldering his way into Dario's yes. office. For God's sake. Ah. Oh, man. This was another week that I thought, oh, man, we're, gonna, we're not going to have enough to even do a show off of. <laughs> we always find something. My God. Okay, so beautiful people coming together. Andre the Giant, the boss man, and Akeem are going to then take on Demolition. And uh, 
some masked man that has in, entered the WWF. As Monsoon would have said if you were here, they better reinforce the ring for this match because there are yes. some meaty people in this one. And uh, I'm here for it. Like, they don't even usually do six-man tag matches. And here we got, we, we got like, the really high-energy, like, smaller guy quick match. And now we got this one, which is just, like, the most hosses you could cram into yes. one ring. So, um, like I said before, this match is hampered by Jim Duggan for me who is very annoying and uh, who leads us to a very bad finish where, again, he just cheats so blatantly, so shamelessly, but uh, yeah. everything apart from that, like, there's some very good stuff in this, too, because if, if this was just demolition as these three guys, two on three, I would probably love this match, and everything that is that in this match is very good. Yeah, this is very good because, like I said, Hacksaw's at the beginning and end, and I have a note that said I forgot, legit forgot Hacksaw was in the match. So it's beautiful. Like the the back slapping chop downs from Axe, like the, you know, these are guys that one, two, three, four of them can just do so much damage to you so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. New colors for Andre the Giant as well. Oh, were there? I, how'd I miss that? What, what I think so. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, same uh, same uh, agility and charm, I said. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't even know what else to say. Like, the, the good parts of this match were great. I so sincerely wish it was, like, Hercules or somebody in that sixth slot, because I probably would have loved the match uh, unequivocally for that. Instead... We get a bit of a mixed bag, but still, I just, like, I don't know. Some people some people act like it's a pain, like it's painful to watch Andre the Giant in this era, and I just bullshit. don't understand that. Yes, it strikes me as <laughs> bullshit. Like, this is this is um, just a very different viewpoint than mine, and it makes me think that maybe you, you swallowed some bullshit that you shouldn't have done. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, for me, Andre is great. Yes, he's limited. Yes, he's still amazing at making everything he does look really meaningful and important and he's gonna carry that i think all the way to the end of his wrestling career uh you got big boss man who is one of the absolute best big man to ever live you've got demolition who is awesome and yes thank you always praise axe for the way he just double axe handles people into oblivion into like a puddle on the mat he is just awesome it's just great great stuff in this match yeah, I just think it's too easy. Oh, well, Andre is great, and then he deteriorated. Like that's factually correct. He's getting older, and his body was he was having issues. But that's not narratively correct to make it that simple. Is he coming through the middle rope instead of the top rope more often? Is he wrestling less? Sure. When he's in the ring, like dropping his butt on somebody, is it every every bit as impressive and intimidating as it always was? Yes, it is. Does he? If Andre Giants in the match and he does one or two things, does that count as ten things for someone else? Yes, it does. We will reach a point at the end here, um, which may not be that far away, but uh, Andre and Haku are the colossal connection, and I actually love this team because it's just Haku wrestling like one on two and beating the crap out of people, and then he'll like bring the guy to the corner, and Andre will punch him, and he'll walk in and just like fall on him, and that'll be the match, and man, what a great team, like what a great way to use Andre at the end there, that's just genius to me, I love that. And if you're a wrestler, and you're in that scenario with Andre, do you think, A, you're saying, 
man, I'm really getting screwed over. I got to do all the work or B, like what a fucking phenomenal moment in my life. I get to team up with Andre the Giant. This is amazing. Plus, you're Haku, so you're probably like, yes, I get to beat up two guys at yes. once because I can because I'm Haku. And, I, you know, it's like like a subtle recognition of how great and tough this guy is. is. He practically wins these matches by himself. That's a great point. Uh, Tony Schiavone not making a good point. He, he thinks that anytime you use the ropes, that it's illegal. And uh, Jesse says, you can use the ropes, Shivani. If you ever wrestled, you might know that. <laughs> yeah, more Shivani uh, misbehaving and just uh, <laughs> saying things that aren't true. I said early on in my notes, at least Shivani doesn't get so morally indignant uh, about things. Mm-hmm. But it's almost worse because he's just throwing out stuff which isn't even true. And uh, I don't know. From some some people definitely give the impression that Vince was like high on Shivani and wanted him to like stay forever. And there's a story of like, you know, Shivani liked it there so much and he almost came back because he didn't like it when he moved back to WCW. Um, and Vince was like so nice to him. So I don't know, like maybe so, but man, if I were running a company and I heard this night, I'd be like, eh, this guy's not going to be my main guy. Like I don't hear it. So I don't know. It's hard because I think, I think it's a lot better in WWF, and I think maybe they were grooming him. Like, this was not – if this was the best he was ever going to be, I don't know that they would have done it. But, like, I believe that he – I believe everything you said because I think he received – this feels like they're trying to do it. Like, yeah. who is the guy, though, that can take over, like, from Vince and Gorilla in that vein? Right, yeah. No, I mean – It'll be Jim Ross eventually, but certainly, like you said, they, they didn't think of that and they didn't want that. And, um, you know, that, that was never going to be in the plan. So I guess Shivani would have made sense in that role. Um, so I don't know. It's strange. But I will say the best Shivani, you said he's better in the WWF. I don't know if I agree with that or not. In some ways, maybe he is. The best Shivani in this era is definitely like Shivani on the small shows where he like relaxes and he actually mm. can be fun because, uh, Hearing him just on pay-per-views ruined my impression of Shivani as an announcer, and uh, only by, like, digging down deeper have I noticed, oh, okay, like, he, he was actually, like, if you were a fan listening to him week to week, you probably formed a better impression of him than if you just watched the big shows like we have done at times. I fully believe Tony Shivani self-sabotages when success comes uh, <laughs> knocking. I think there's stuff about his family, maybe his family not being happy, some things happening, wanting to move back, but... I think what drove him away as much as anything is that just this, un- this ridiculous amount of support that Vince McMahon gave him. And, you know, I think Tony, Tony's good at burning it down, just like he did uh, his wife in the oven. By God. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. What a maniac. Okay, so the absurdity of this is, and this is why we spend so much time on Hacksaw and Brutus Beefcake, because even when there's no feud or there's no in-the-moment, like, cheating or there's there's no context. You're not even in the ring. We're just having a match, I think, and Hacksaw just goes and gets his two by four and hits someone, and then they get the pin. Yes, without even a reason, he will just cheat his ass off. It's like, do you remember when he's in WCW and he did like the wrist or the the fist taping gimmick? Mm. And he would always finish his match. Yeah, like just in front of everybody, he didn't give a shit. He'll just cheat <sighs> if he wants to cheat, and he's worse than any heel that you ever saw. Friggin' Jim Duggan, man. He's just, uh, he bothers me so much. He really took this match down from where it could have been, in my opinion. He really hurt my enjoyment of it. Yeah, like, and why, why, 
Why not just smack somebody in the head at the start? Why have a match before you do that? Right. Why have opponents? Why, you know, yeah. just go and march around and shout your little <laughs> words that you love to shout and leave and don't bother us. Do it at home, actually, yeah. <laughs> you know, for all you care about anybody being around you. So, for God's sake. That is the line for me is when they, when they don't even want to be wrestlers. It's like, do them a favor and don't make them be. Right, like let's just put Jim Duggan in a hardware store somewhere. He can march <laughs> up and down the aisles. He'll be by his two by four, and he can yell, and you know it'll be fine. It'll be perfect for him. So I don't know. Okay, so they win off of a two by four shot, and we go to Gene Okerlund, who's with Ted DiBiase and Virgil. And every time I see that belt, I just find that should be the television title of the WWF. Yeah, that'd be nice. It will never rise to that level, but we'll have some fun stuff to do with that belt. DiBiase says that uh, his opponent will end up like Jake the Snake. So we got two references on the show that he has put Jake the Snake out of the wrestling business. Yeah. Jake, I think, must have been injured or something because nowhere to be found on this card, I just realized. And uh, I think they wouldn't keep him off a big show like this since he's one of the most over baby faces they have. So. Okay, so now we get to it. Shout out to our prof who really went to bat for Ron Garvin and Ron Garvin in this angle. Um, and I want to say two things. I'm going to agree, and then I'm going to come with something else because two things happen. Number one, this is a very entertaining. We're going to get Ron Garvin as the ring announcer. Uh, he gets to announce Greg Valentine, and he is going to use uh, that babyface lens to uh, break down Greg Valentine as Valentine just has to helplessly come to the ring. And I think it's funny. I think it works. And I'm beginning to be excited about this. But the thing that never made any sense is why would Jack Tunney come out and suspend a baby face for cheating, for doing something he shouldn't? If he did that, you got to shut down the company. It never makes sense to me. I honestly believe that he suspended Ronnie Garvin from being a referee in conjunction with Ronnie Garvin so that Greg Valentine could breathe and think it's over and then he could come back as the ring announcer and just like make the thing two times worse. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's the only way it really makes sense. The Jack Tunney was just messing with Greg Valentine. Yeah. Because, uh, he was he was on the baby face side all along. Because who would sanction it? It has to be Jack Tunney. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. Like, Ventura questions it repeatedly. It's like, who who made him the ring announcer? And yeah. nobody ever answers. It's got to be the guy in charge. You don't just get to be ring announcer. So, I don't yeah. know. It's like, oh, man. Um, so, yeah, I will definitely go to bat for Ron Garvin. Always, I'm a big fan of the guy. He is Greg Valentine-esque in the way that he wrestles and just hammers the shit out of people. Uh, this angle, it's a little much, you know, like, it's a lot to swallow. It can be entertaining, for sure, and uh, I agree, our prof did a great job of kind of laying out the details, which uh, I wasn't familiar with all of them, so credit hugely to, to that wonderful person. But, man, it's a lot, like, especially, it, like, he just makes fun of Greg Valentine when he's doing the entrance, and he does a lot of, like, sarcastic and mean comments, and then after the match, it bothered me even more because he just, like, went into business for himself and just started announcing whatever the hell he felt like. And I'm like, man, like, you were <laughs> supposed to be doing your job. You, whoever made your ring announcer is a terrible choice because you're doing a bad job of it. So, 
Oh. I saw it a little bit differently. I think it's the evolution of the babyface WWF era where you know, we have finally reached a point that no matter what happens in the match, we can announce the as far as I'm concerned winner of the match. <laughs> he definitely uh, gave some truth to that uh, idea. So what do these babyfaces even want, though? If they got all the heels out of the company, which I guess is what they want to do, they want to stab them with scissors and just do all sorts <laughs> of terrible things. What would they even do with each other? They would just have to misbehave against each other and try yeah. to frame each other as the bad guy. And they would. It, you know, it wouldn't work, you know? So I don't even know what they're trying to do this whole time. They they would do that until there's only one person standing because they are, they're selfish. If you watch this match, before it starts, Hercules has to run to punch Greg Valentine because Ronnie Garvin is about to start it up like Hercules isn't there. Like He has to run to get in front of the baby face who's trying to take his moment from him. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, poor Hercules. I got to say, I'm a little, um, this match on paper is very appealing to me, and they don't really get a lot of opportunity to do much with it because it's all about Ron Garvin. It's very short, and uh, it sort of cheats Hercules, I think, of uh, what could have been a pretty good SummerSlam match. So that's a shame, but it definitely does what it wants to do because yeah like it does put that focus on garvin and uh, hercules does have to like practically run down there just to uh get into it before it all blows up so you know there, there there's something going on there yeah after the match they're trying to both get at valentine's outside the ring so ronnie garvin puts his arm and pushes hercules back and then hercules pushes ronnie garvin back so if you want to know what the baby faces would do if the hills weren't there you almost found out in this match uh, yeah, for sure. Like, that could have gone badly right there. They're only going to slap each other's back so long, you know, if there's some yes. problem, then they're going to stab real fast. Just ask Brutus Beefcake. Mm. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. So, we're building to, a again, it blew my mind that this is going to be a match at the Royal Rumble 1990. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I am happy that Greg Valentine's at least in stories again. Me too. This is much better than the team he'll have to do with Honky Tonk Man. Um, I'm really looking forward to that match. Actually, I've never seen it before. Uh, I know some people are not high on it, but some people are also just not high on Greg Valentine. And those mm. people are very strange to me. I, I don't know. They think like he's, he's, he's too boring or something. I don't know. Like That's just not my vibe. I love Greg Valentine. I really like Ronnie Garvin as a very similar type of wrestler. You got two guys who actually were both very big in the NWA at different times, and they're going to get a chance to uh, have what I hope will be a pretty gritty and good match. And uh, I don't know, maybe there's something I don't know, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So we got the scoop roll-up feed on the rope. I told you last week if a heel does that and you're vertically up in the air and the referee still doesn't see it, you've earned your victory. (laughs) But uh, we're going to get an announcement that as far as I'm concerned, uh, Hercules is the winner, and I honestly don't know. At the end of the day, who was on the record book as winning this match? I, I had to look it up, and they did credit Greg Valentine Good. as the actual winner. Um, so, yes. <laughs> this is the yeah this, the, the thing. You said it doesn't work because you'd have to shut down the company if you, you suspended every cheating baby face, and that's completely true. And it also always opens up the problem of why don't you come out all the time and, like, just when somebody's cheating, why don't you call them? But no, because it's not really about justice. It's about your own personal beef, and yeah. that's all you really care about. So you're not righteous. You're just that out for yourself like everybody. Absolutely. You know, even this, you know, how many times do you have to get Greg Valentine back? 
<laughs> right, yeah, like, just infinitely. It's what we talked about for, for since this series began, practically. You do one thing to a baby face, you have signed the blank check for them to do everything to you forever, yeah. including, like, burning your house down and just anything. You know, you, you, you deserve everything you can possibly get at that point. Yes, it is the blank, the baby face blank check is a real thing. It's an ugly thing because it all it shows is an ugliness in you because if if you've done it seven times now, let's just say seven times you've done it, and you're no closer to vindication or satisfaction, eventually it has to go from, oh man, I don't like what Greg Valentine did to you, to um, maybe you should do some reflection on yourself because maybe... Whatever you seek in your life is not coming from like sabotaging another human being. Oh my. Anyway, we're gonna get to some people who have found themselves. They have found their way. My my favorite thing randomly that Sherry said was about a cauldron, and little did I know that we were actually going to see a cauldron at SummerSlam '89. Absolutely, we have Sherry and Savage backstage reading the future in a bubbling cauldron, and it's a little bit silly, but. You gotta imagine, Randy Savage. He probably was down to do this stuff all along, and Liz was probably no, we don't, we don't want to do that. And now, now he's with someone who will say yes to his ideas, good and bad. And here's a good one, because um, because uh, I'm I'm into this kind of. It's a little campy, it's a little silly, but you know what? I like it anyway. I don't care. I like how low the volume drops on your Liz voice. That's there's something fitting about that. <laughs> I'm gonna have some more stuff to say about that too before we're done. So. Oh, man. Um, they they predict a defeat in the future for Hogan and Beefcake. Savage calls Beefcake the weak link. And I, I'm impressed at how much truth-telling there is about yes. Beefcake in this storyline. They're being all very candid about the worthlessness of uh, Brutus Beefcake. I agree. I, I had a moment where I was like, okay, I was way too hard on WCW for the Hogan Butcher Starcade main event because – I did not realize that even in WWF, in the height of their era in 89, we got him in the main event mm. of a pay-per-view. And then there's like openly calling, like acknowledging that he doesn't belong there. And I'm like, okay, well, that is different than, than Starcade 94. Uh, it's that Red Rooster energy where they just went around calling him a limited man the whole time. And it's like, yes, and we know. We can see that for ourselves. So it's not like a revelation. It's just uh, thank you for telling the truth about it for once good job i think we'll have some complicated conversation in the main event i think pro probably we'll see some things differently i think there's a multitude of threads to uh point at and i just want to say right now there's a difference to me and i say this every week i don't know how to explain it like i love randy savage and sherry and what they're doing but every week it also feels like it's, it's still a a free fall for Randy Savage. Like he's he's eternally paying for his sins of what he did to Hulk Hogan and Elizabeth, you know. And so I both love what he's doing. And I also think he needs to get the hell away from Hulk Hogan, and he needs he needs he needs to find a way to be well as a heel because I. I love the Disney villains. Yep. I love the fa I love the whatever dark magic they're playing with, but I don't like the idea, even if it's implicit, that if you're a heel and you've turned on Hogan and Elizabeth, 
Like, he can't honestly be be doing well. Like he has to be tortured and he has to be falling and he has to be. Well, well, I would like to have a list at the end of the main event about from one to four who came out looking the best and the worst. Oh boy, I mean, I. Hmm. Okay. All right. Interesting. So we'll we'll get to that. But yeah, Campy as uh Miss Van said, but also so good for what you let Sherry and Savage, you know run together and how would there not be a cauldron in the back at some point <laughs> i was gonna say i think i saw this exact scene in uh kingdom hearts at one point so you know yes. it's, uh, it's that energy absolutely i say when we get to the main event i think um i think instead of uh one to four we got to do one to six because we got sherry yes. and liz out there too and uh, that they, they deserve to be in that conversation absolutely i will say I don't know how if you're going to come out super hard on Liz, and I, I have no problem with that, I will say. But to me, the only tension in the match started when there was Sherry and Liz both involved in the match. Yeah, I don't think I'll be as hard on her as you might think. Um, I'll be a little hard on her, but I will also sort of praise her. So we'll, we'll wait and see what that looks okay. like. And there are some things I don't even know what I'm going to say. Like, some things I still don't know where I'm going to come down. So we'll, we'll see when we get to the main event. Uh, right now we have Ted DiBiase. Going one-on-one with uh, Jimmy Snuka. Yeah, I don't know about you. I was not yeah. feeling this at all. Um, Jimmy Snuka looked bad. He's like, like, his one sequence is that little, like, leapfrog thing he does, and he botches it, like, in the opening minutes and lands right on top of Ted DiBiase. So, again, I'm just like, this guy is already past his prime. Just get him out of here. And this one of his millions of returns, which never go well, uh, he dragged down Ted. The commentary was really bad because they just wouldn't. They're like, oh, Jimmy Snuka is like an animal. And it's like, mm-hmm. talk about not aging well. Yeah. I try to go light on that stuff because it's bad and it should be pointed out sometimes. But a lot of times it's just like it's in the past. Hopefully nobody fucking thinks that way anymore. But when it's like your only talking point for a yes. whole match, it's gross. Stop it. Like, it's 1989. You should know already, for God's sake. So that was bad. Match was bad. I feel bad for Ted DiBiase. Imagine if they had just scrapped Honky Tonk and Jimmy Snuka off this show and let Dusty and DiBiase wrestle like they should have done. So that's all I got to say about that. No, I think you're completely right. I also try not to, you know, because... Everybody of every generation can do the, hey, this looks bad, mm-hmm. and sometimes it needs to be called out. But this is – it's probably because of Jesse Ventura, who's a great commentator, so he uses what's there. So he will not let go of the this is an animal versus a man, and this is an instinct versus a thinker. Mm-hmm. And it's like you get hit in the face with it again and again and again. And I don't know Jimmy Snooker's career, so I don't know when all that started, if that's exclusively WWF or if that – came from an era before the era that we're actually in, but it's a match that should not have happened. It's commentary that should not have happened. And it was the first time that I halfway joined the bandwagon of Ted DiBiase was misused in WWF. Mm. Like I don't always want to do that because those people, it seems like he had to be world champion in main event. And that's not true. I don't think, but either Ted DiBiase is not as good as people say he is, or, um, He's a lot better than what he deserves, and I, it's the second one, you know. Right. You think, like, was he using 5% of his ability in this match? If so, that's what he was using, and that's what it called for. Yeah. No, absolutely. It, I've, I've seen Ted carry some people in good matches, but I don't think there was anything he could do here because I no. really honestly believe Jimmy Snuka 
is useless at this point. Like his peak was what, 1980, where he jumped off a cage one time. He inspired Mick Foley. Great. He was very popular at one point. I don't take that away from him. But he will come back to this company over and over and over again, and he will always look terrible, and it will, there will never be any point to it. So, I don't know. It's just another edition of that, and it's far from the last time that it will happen, unfortunately. Somebody made a comment, and I think it might have been you on the last show, where I thought, hey, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but cool. Where I, Whoever, I was wrong, and I think you said it, so I think you were right, uh, that we're supposed to be impressed by him jumping off the top rope in an era where people will jump off the top rope, you know. I don't yeah. know if that was you. That that was me. It's like in an era of Owen Hart and the Rockers um, and, and many others, but just, just looking at them for a second, they have run like 60 laps around the most impressive thing Jimmy Snuka ever did already, and we're supposed to be like, oh, Jimmy Snuka can – do a splash. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what? Who gives a shit? That's <laughs> so dumb in 1989 for God's sake. So I don't know. Now nah, you were right. Cause listen to the commentary when he goes to the second rope and then when he's about to go to the top, they really act like we're about to see something we've never seen before. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The, the, the way they have to twist themselves in knots to try to pretend that Jimmy Snooker is still impressive. I got to say it again. Like his only spot that he does a lot of the time. Like, his only stock spot is that little leapfrog chop thing he does, and he just completely botches it and lands on Ted's head and could have injured him in just, like, the first couple minutes of this match. So he can't even do, like, one of the only things he's supposed to be able to do. So why is he here? I don't know. It won't be the last time, though. Yeah, Mizrain got it right. Clip this thing off the show for for a million reasons, and give us Ted DiBiase and Dusty Rhodes. For God's sake, please. Oh, I would have loved to see that again. All righty. Gene Erkeland, Hulk Hogan, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, here we go. They were riding their bikes, and there was traffic blocked, and I think they had to ride them through the water, and Hulk Hogan was like Moses, and he parted the sea. Oh, man. No. Okay. All right. So okay. I'm going to go through all of this, because I went back. I listened to this a second time. Because I knew there was going to be some crazy shit in here, and there was. I really want to look at it. So Hogan starts us off. He brags about hooking up with Brutus Beefcake and hanging and banging with him. So take that for what you will, if you like. He talks about driving their Harley Davidson motorcycles. So they're, you know, like he couldn't wait to get to Sturgis already. Mm. He's thinking of Hog Wild. Um, <laughs> he does say, I think, that he parted a river. Like yes. Moses or something. Um, he says he was on the freeway and everyone stopped and got out of their car to look at Hulk Hogan's muscles and to look at the gleam in Brutus Beefcake's eyes. Mm. Th that's his attribute, I guess. <laughs> Brutus Beefcake takes over and cuts one of the most disturbing promos that I have ever heard. <laughs> no. where he just like makes verbal love to his scissors and then he says, and I am quoting him because you have to quote the insane things that Brutus Beefcake says. He says he will make the scissors part of Randy Savage. And if there's an interpretation that is not he's going to stab Randy Savage, I would like to hear it because I don't know what else that can mean at this point. Who okay, are? let me just jump in for one Please, second because this ahead. is where I feel like you were the mystic because to me, yeah, he's going to stab him maybe, but it's also – very sexual. It is. Because the whole quote is, 
Do you know why I love these blades? The blades are part of me, and I'm going to make them part of Savage. Oh, my God. And that was the moment I was like, he is a pervert. And, like, your first analysis of him is ringing true in ways that go beyond belief at this point. I, I feel like I did have a pretty good insight. I never I never called him that before this series. Um, it was sort of floating around in my unconscious, I guess, but uh, it is definitely bearing out because he is creepy. Like, oh, my God, he creeps me the, out. So thank you the for blades, that. The blades are part of me. I'm going to make them part of Savage. You know, that's just, oh and, know and he got the I guess I'm saying it, so that makes it even better. Yeah. I think we know which part of him those blades are. We don't want to know. So, oh my God. So we go from Buddhist beefcake being weirdly horny to Hulk Hogan. And oh my God, like this, this for a guy who spent like months protesting that, oh, Liz is like my sister. And I never, I never even thought about her like that. He cuts the dirtiest, horniest promo we have ever seen in this era about Liz riding a motorcycle with him and about her sexy legs and being wrapped around him and her high beams pointing out in front of her and just like it's a pornographic promo and it's just unbelievable so huh so this is the promo I went back I listened to just because like, yeah, Ultimate Warrior, he says crazy things, but they don't mean anything. These two yeah. guys say crazy things, and they mean all sorts of scary things, yes. and we have to document them. If you don't pay attention to what they mean, you will pay a price for it. Oh, my God. Frightening. I, I do think sexual energy, like, you can take it for what it's worth. Like, I don't think you have to take it to reality. There have been accusations, but I think what binds these two together is a wild sexuality that is just unleashed any which way it can go. Oh my god yeah it's, so um it, it creeped me out for sure this is part of the argument that i will make later i don't know that hulk hogan or randy savage are better like this is like the sequel of the sequel of the sequel i think they need to leave each other alone because they're lowering themselves and lowering themselves and lowering themselves to still have something to say and do to each other and at the end of the day, nobody's winning or looking better for the continuation of this feud. Yeah, I, I would have separated them apart at after WrestleMania. That, that was a yes. great place to leave it for a long time, and you can come back later. But this will be their problem. They'll never practically get away from each other. Mm. You know, They'll have this problem through much of WCW as well. Um, Randy Savage just can't leave Hulk Hogan alone, and uh, that's a problem which arguably extended to real life. So, you know, take it for what you will. Yeah, and the great stories of our day are the ones where you can guess at meanings, but you have to guess because it's not fully unpacked. Like what you just said, everything that we guessed at a year ago because they won't leave the feud alone, you don't have to guess anymore. Did, would Hulk Hogan have liked for it to be you know, a wild threesome? Was he interested in Liz? Well, the answer has become yes to everything because now he is not only like sexualizing Liz and the relationship in this way, but it's in such a childish where it's like, Liz might not even be aware. She was, God knows she was never on the bike with Hulk Hogan. That never happened. No. No. But this is what it takes now for them to hurt each other. You know, so why do you have to keep hurting each other? Like, neither of you are better for this. Please walk away from one another. Please. 
Yeah, no. The, the, every everything Savage said about Hogan's lustful eyes definitely came true in this promo. And I'll say I don't think they want to have a three way anymore. I think they want to have that six way now. They want to just throw <laughs> yeah. everyone in this match in there into bed and just just sort it out there. That's the those six and the scissors. You know, they're just gonna have yeah. a good time together. <laughs> those six and the scissors. SummerSlam '89. <laughs> Do not make that a title, Vince fan. <laughs> uh. Maybe they did. Like I, now, I feel like I have to rewatch the main event to know did did they do exactly what you just said? And I was just watching it differently because I thought I was watching a match. I mean, Starcade '94 was was a very um, you know that was a love letter to each other. Clearly, mm-hmm. it was um, so so I don't know. Maybe maybe we have something similar going on here. Yeah, he butchered their relationship. Hogan was very distraught over that. Like that was bad acting. Hulk Hogan and feuds that don't matter. Everything that was wrong. Yep. Okay, so, but again, here's what you got to say. Whether Hogan is slipping a little bit, look at what we just got out of a Hogan Beefcake uh, promo, and we did not mention a word of the Ultimate Warriors promo, just for the record. Like I said, they're both saying crazy things, but one crazy thing is just nothing, and the other, you have to document it for the police report, so, (laughs) Oh, man. All right, so I will try to get my composure as we continue on. Uh, the genius is somehow involved in this. I have no idea how, why, or when, but yeah, I don't know was... if this was like a Randy Savage reference mm. or something. But yes, the genius introduces the match with a poem, which, funny enough, was also his gimmick when he was a, a babyface jobber um, on TV. But now it's bad. Now it's annoying because he wears yeah. a, a, a gown, uh, a graduation yeah. gown. So take that for what you will. Uh, he says, among other things, that Liz is useless, and he generously calls Zeus an unknown factor. So, it's a good way to frame it, I suppose. Yeah. I didn't know what to make of this, and I didn't know what to make of the fact that there's 30 minutes still left on the clock when this all begins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, this match is not good. Um, it's not the worst thing ever, no. either. Like, there's a little bit to redeem it like you can tell they're trying to structure it and like some of them are working hard even the ones who like like even zeus is like kind of he's trying like you can see that he's trying so um i don't know it's a bad match but it's not as horrible as it could have been i guess it's probably the nicest thing i can say about it okay so we i think there we fall similar places because It wasn't necessarily a like to me. If it was a random Saturday night's main event, main event, uh, mid card main event, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think what it is between good errors and bad, and what they're not going to have forever, is anything that still gives it some life and motion comes out of past feuds and past rivalries. Yeah. Like if it was only built off of a couple of months and what we saw on TV, and this was the main event, this would be the most god awful thing in line with all the other god awful things. Sure, yeah, but they are playing off some interconnected stuff, and I'll say the crowd uh, is very reactive to this match. Um, you know, it, it's very over uh, in certain ways. I do think this is another one of those matches that maybe burned off some goodwill, so even though they're reacting in the moment, yeah. you're you're making sure they don't react as strongly in the future. So, I don't know. It's still a bad match, but, like, there are a few redeeming things about it, kind of. So, yeah, we're not that far off, I think. Yeah, and I think the tension for me, I don't think this tension between Savage and Hogan, 
I think they either both liked each other, never liked each other, whatever their relationship is, is. So like when Liz comes out, there is still tension between Savage, Sherry and Liz, because part of why Savage and Sherry are behaving this way is indirectly to stick it to Liz. So like there's life to me still in that. But there's no honest tension left between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. It's just overkill. So yeah. I, I see. I feel differently about those, which is good for WWF because we're gonna get like Liz and Savage and Sherry stuff like a couple of years out. Mm-hmm. But the Hogan stuff and Savage is not authentic. It's not there anymore. And again, one thing I want to figure out before this match is over, like I said, is where does Savage fall? Because certainly he's not. He's not nearly the top guy on his own team. Yeah, no, not the way it's presented. Certainly yeah. not. Um, he's going to need to find himself again a little bit. Um, and yeah, right now he's got Sherry, who's his like red Corvette as he goes through like this life uh, change and tries to figure out who he is. Um, he's old enough for a midlife crisis, but there's some, some element of that as he kind of scrambles for new meaning. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you said that because the tension with Liz is still like off the charts and the tension with Hogan is like, it might not, it might as well not even be there. You know, they could just meet for the first time here practically. Absolutely. Uh, I also said if WWF jumped the shark, uh, in this matchup, it was in, here's a little portion. Randy Savage grabs Elizabeth. I think Hulk Hogan comes in and then says Hogan and Savage in the ring. Jesse Ventura playing out says Hogan will come in now because it's Randy Savage in the ring. (laughs) <laughs> which is like, oh, my God. Uh, and then, like, there's the Randy Savage elbow, and Hulk Hogan straight stands up from it. So there's this whole little section of the match where we learn that Zeus is far above pro wrestlers, that Randy Savage can't hurt Hulk Hogan, Hogan can't hurt Zeus, and Hogan's not afraid of Savage. Hogan can't stand with Zeus, but Savage can't stand with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And so it's like this little period where I was like, if you want to say this was was that show or that match, that that to me was a little section of of shark jumping by WWF. Yeah, sure. Zeus is the real threat. We will see before the end that Randy Savage is in fact no threat to Hogan anymore. Yeah. He's uh, just negligible. Um, you know, he he's barely a match for Brutus Beefcake. Mm. Um, I'll say this: I'd rather watch Zeus than Brutus Beefcake. So nice. <laughs> take that for I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna say yay or nay to that because like <laughs> that's not controversial. It's controversial to me. Not to our show, no. Mm. Um. So yeah, like I said, I, I feel like Zeus is trying. He's a very big guy. He can't really do anything as we would expect. Um. He just like kind of hugs Hogan down to the mat for a while, and that's probably the biggest thing that he does. Um. I will say this. One. One positive point to this match is the way they build up the moment where Zeus finally like falls down to one knee and just that got a really big pop and they they did they built it up extremely well to get to that moment so even though so many of the pieces are faulty they're still structuring this match in a way that is actually going to pop the crowd and I appreciate that a lot yeah and Hogan takes a 10 minute whooping to start the match not beefcake sure. like Hogan is just beat down that partly leads to what happens later and I also want to say, because I do enjoy Zeus in some places, like non-wrestling spaces, so yeah. I said this in the forums. You want to throw stupid money at someone for stupid reasons. I never blame the person for taking the stupid money. Oh, no. You know, so none of this is a knock on Zeus. It's a knock 
on WWF's preference for anything except pro wrestling, which will hinder it time and time again and never yet gain them the, the place in the other world that they want to have. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it just, um, definitely not on Zeus. Um, although I have to wonder, like, uh, surely they attempted to train him. I don't know. It's just strange that I feel like all he does is like that hug, basically. Like he even did more, I think at, a um, Saturday night's main events where he kind of like chopped down on Hogan and like sort of choked him and lifted him. And he doesn't even really do that very much. Um, so, so it's weird. You, you almost wonder why they couldn't figure out a way to do a little more with him. Not that they really should have been doing anything in the first place. Yeah. He could have done the claw instead of uh, the bear hug. Like I've oh, seen sure. some guys who are accused of being limited and yet they do a claw and it's just like the most magical thing you've ever seen. Absolutely. Would have been better. <laughs> a lot of things you a lot of things maybe that could have been done, so I don't know. Um, it is what it He's is. He's enthusiastic, but like you said, and the, I, I know Luger and Giant, I think, and Hogan all trained Dennis Rodman before that the matchup that they had. So, yeah. Well, but also, think, when did this happen? You know, mm-hmm. was it before No Holds Barred? Was it after? Was it like five minutes before they decided to have the program that they decided on him? Like I don't know when they decided Zeus is also going to be a wrestler, not just part of the movie that's happening. I don't know, but think about when they uh, filmed that. You know, that was yeah. a long time ago, actually. So they had a lot of time to think about this. Um, Good point. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I want to talk about Liz a little bit. I'll say for someone who um, doesn't really do anything, you know, and that, I guess that's my criticism as usual. When she comes out, the fans react to her like she was Hulk Hogan. So, like, mm-hmm. clearly there's something going on. And I can't even, like, even if she gets me, uh, it's it's it shows you, I guess, the importance of just, like, sheer charisma or it factor or something, like some intangible factor. Like, Liz comes out. She, she rarely shows, like, a specific emotion. She's just, like, kind of Mona Lisa-ish mm-hmm. um, in that she's sort of just, like, mysterious and passive. Um, but there's something about her, you know, so I'll, I'll give her some credit. It even gets to me, uh, even though she really does nothing. Um, so yeah, without even doing anything, she's probably at least like four out of the six in this match. So. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's also, we're getting so many years along, I think, that some of the storied people, mm-hmm. like, the Pipers and the Liz and the, the folks that were there from the beginning almost, yeah. There's almost a royalty about it. They're not new anymore. You know, Piper comes out massive ovation. Liz comes out massive ovation. We talk about is Andre still the same as he's starting to fade. So we're starting to see people go from superstars to icons because there's been enough years. We're going into WrestleMania six. So we're almost six years into this thing. Yeah. So I think there's also just something that's iconic about Elizabeth as that first lady as being with Randy Savage is going way back into that WWF lore now. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and again, like when, you, like you said, a positive part of this match is they can actually play off things that happened before. Um, mm. The Savage Hogan stuff mostly is not that eye-catching, but there is one moment where Savage tries to hide behind Liz, and Hogan yeah. like goes over quickly to fend him off, and that I was like, that's a good moment for you three because like that is steeped in history, in past relationships. Um, that's a moment that did catch my eye, so I'll I give like credit that. to that. Thank you for that. Like, I don't think, like, I caught that one, but 
listening to that, that warms my heart because that is a nice moment between the three of them. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, what is not a <laughs> nice so many, moment? Yeah, go oh, ahead. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, there's so many lies and truth in this. We've already documented that. But Hulk Hogan did hold the rope for Liz. So, like, you know, he did do things for Liz that Liz could only do for Savage. So, you know, it's continuing on with one out of a million of those threads that are out there, which is like Savage will always sacrifice Liz. And no matter what, if Hogan's even using her, he at least physically plays a different role with her than Savage plays. Man, it's just a mess with Savage, though. We've seen the proof. That if Savage is not in direct conflict with Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan won't even go near Liz. You know, he doesn't care at all. So um, I, I don't give any credit to Hogan for that. He just uh, it's all part of his psychological game. It's it's no different than him trying to wear the hat of his opponent after he beats them. Liz, in his mind, is just Randy Savage's hat. So he can just steal her and use her and then he doesn't care as soon as he's out of that conflict. That I, I think that's fair. I'll, but it's, it seems like Liz only pairs up with Hogan for the same thing. Liz, I think you just walk up to Liz and suggest anything, and she would probably she'd be like, "Hey, get in my unmarked van, you know, with the uh, tinted windows." Oh, okay, all right, sure. You know, it's like Liz is just unbelievably passive. She has no agency in almost anything she does, and I include this match, even though supposedly, allegedly, she does something, but it's not on camera, so I'm very uh, suspicious that it even happened, so. Oh, come on now. (laughs) I don't know, like, uh, (laughs) it's possible. I won't say it's impossible. I'm just saying I'm suspicious that there's no evidence that it happened, but. uh, It's a strange thing, because, like, you got two people in the middle of the ring, and then you're going to have, like, the fastest, biggest pileup in that corner that I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) You're not wrong. So I want to talk about that in a minute. But first, before that, I want to follow along in the match. I referenced this before. The proof that Randy Savage is of just absolute no threat to Hogan anymore is he actually hits the Savage elbow and Hulk Hogan just pops up and no sells it. And this is something he's going to do more and more where he just leaps up to his feet after eating somebody's finisher. And... It's gross, and I don't like it. I'll just say, I guess this is how they knew that Savage could wake up Hogan by magic after an elbow drop, because they will make use of that later on. But uh, what an ugly way to discover that fact. I agree with you on both, because I, I condemn that 100%, because this is Ultimate Warrior. Like This is what makes wrestling not worth watching, because if it, this is like Hacksaw with the 2x4. Like, if these things are so, then nothing around them matters. Like Savage can never beat Hulk Hogan if if this is the case. Like, so why am I watching this? So I condemn that 100. percent But that's freaking all. When does he do that? When does he wake him up with the elbow? God, isn't that Starcade '94 or? So that's WCW, right? Yeah, I think so. That's when I remember it anyway. It can't so be WWF because they're never going to team up again in this yeah. company. So. But that's Ben Button theory there though, because that like sure. they learned they learned it here and they do it in WCW. Yeah. Maybe not Starcade, but it's somewhere in that feud, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the continuation on, but it's kind of an ugly continuation. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, but anyway, yes, like you were saying, we do get the pile up. We get uh, things kind of going nuts. Sherry gets up on the apron. She kind of falls into the ring. We are told that <coughs> has pushed her. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I there is a rumor that Elizabeth uh, tipped her foot and her leg over, so just just a, just a wild rumor out there, Ms. Fan. Well, I, I like how you phrased it, though. She just kind of tipped her foot, and that <laughs> sounds like the most aggressive action 
Liz has ever taken in the history of uh, this promotion. So tipped her foot is probably the best way to uh, to phrase it if she actually did do it. Okay, I think it's in the replay, but you know I will let you run with your aim. You take 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 over, my friend. All right, so uh, Hogan steals Sherry's uh, deadly purse, which has been used um, as, a, as a weighted weapon in this match. He hits Zeus with it. He slams him. He leg drops him. He finishes him. That's it for Zeus. You would think, no, he will be around some more, even though he uh, lost this decisive um, finish here. So, so yes, Hulk Hogan stands tall, as you would expect, and then he uh, menaces Sherry, and, um, yeah, and then they do some more stuff, and uh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so... There you go. Uh, the baby faces prevail. They party. And I think the thing that hurt me the most, I was realizing it feels like Zeus isn't done. And then I had to do a little research. And I was like, yeah. oh, it's because Zeus isn't done. I don't know why not, though, because he did take the pin. Yeah. And, ugh, but I guess the purse is like his out. Yeah. So I don't know. More egregious to me than the match. I will talk about it. Is after the match, they have to, you know, Hogan has to menace Sherry and gives her an atomic drop. And then, I, I lied, Liz actually does one thing. She, like, slaps her, kind of, as she stumbles across the ring. And then they, they cut off some of her hair and threaten the other baby, the other heels with the scissors. <clears throat> Excuse me. God, I'm so mad I'm allergic to this uh, <laughs> yeah, this ending. You. So, so yeah. I, I Sherry, you know, they're just lucky that, um, that she was stunned, because I think she could have beaten up all three of them, really, if she had had her wits about her. So. And Hulk Hogan will take the cut hair and put it on the top of his head. <laughs> More proof. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so yeah, I think no one suspected this would turn out differently. But like I said, I think, again, when we talk about hurting yourself over the long haul, but maybe not in the moment, anything that this match had going for it came out of history. And anything it projects going forward is that Randy Savage is beneath Zeus. Who is beneath Hulk Hogan? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I got that impression. I will say I am glad that Savage didn't take the pin. That's one thing you can at least say in favor of that. But, yeah, just the way his finish was no soul is very hard to swallow. Um, and I wasn't lying. As I said, it looks like he was hardly a match for Beefcake even, and that yeah. that just ain't right. So. Yeah, I definitely think Beefcake came out better than Savage. And it was just like when Savage was – I get that you're trying to build Zeus, but you also know he's not going to be around forever. But when Savage, the former world champion of five minutes ago, was in the ring, it was a literal verbal like, oh, this is a relief for uh, Hogan and Beefcake because Savage is in the ring. Yeah, yeah. So the way they framed it was um, very pro-Zeus. And, uh, you know, that's just that – nobody needs that. Come on. So – yeah, so we're we're in the aftermath, and it's almost like the feud was so good. And if you've ever seen a dysfunctional relationship, and you have to live through it, and it won't end, and you think two people have broken up, and you breathe a sigh of relief, and then a week later they get back together. Uh. That is Hogan and Savage right now. Yeah, that's too real for me. I can't even. <laughs> I've yeah. seen that. I've seen that happen, and uh, I don't need it's to awful. think about yeah this unhealthy relationship on and off the screen and how uh, damaging it ended up being. So, 
Um, yeah, these new, these two need to flee from each other, and they're not going to do it yet, I don't think, but I wish they would. Yeah, so we got we got a ways to go, maybe, but uh, it's it's interesting. Like Savage and Sherry are very compelling together. I would like to see them in start being together for the sake of being together, and not for the sake of like sticking it to other people. <laughs> I honestly don't know if uh, if you're gonna get your wish on that or not, but I hope that you do. I hope that we get to see that because that that sounds very uh, appealing to me. So where are you now as we leave SummerSlam 89? Like, what is your feeling about where we are going forward? You know, I think it's about the same as I articulated last week. We've just entered an era where, um, I mean, if WrestleMania 3 was the peak, we crossed the peak. We kind of walked down in the sunshine for a while. Now we're sort of falling into the shadow, you know, and um, there can still be a lot of great things, but we're at a point where there can be a lot more bad things, too. So I think there's going to be some stuff that we enjoy tremendously, that we enjoy as much as anything we've seen up to this point. But there's probably going to be a worse ratio of bad stuff where we have to say this is not so good. This hurts me in one way or another. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm an optimistic guy by nature, so I am more so looking forward to the good stuff, and I can already think of some really good, juicy stuff that's just on the horizon. But uh, we've definitely passed the point where I felt like that elation, that, like, wow, it's a company that is growing and is so strong right now, and it's like they can't take a bad step hardly. We're just not quite there anymore. Yeah. I think I'm in the same place, and I don't know if it's because, again, we're coming out of so much good. But right now, I just feel like they're on a lower ledge, but they're not free-falling. Free no. Uh, but will, will it get tired after a while? I can't say the answer to that. But right now, I'm still enjoying it. I still want to be in this error, but I just feel like we have dipped to a lower ledge than what we were previously on. Yep, yep. I think that's a, a very fair way to phrase it. Um, but, yeah, no, we've got – got good stuff to come i think we have uh, the macho king i believe will be crowned by the time we have our next show mm-hmm. we have hulk hogan uh, feuding with ted dibiase and maybe getting some uh some distance from randy savage i don't know if i call it a feud they'll have a title match on the next saturday night's main event we'll see roddy piper throwing fists with haku as his mm-hmm. feud with the heenan family continues we'll see tito santana getting uh, finally getting a chance one-on-one with rick martell so there's going to be some very fun stuff even on this next show. So a lot to look forward to, um, and uh, we'll just have to make it through the bad stuff and call it out as we have always done. Absolutely, we got less than six months left in the decade of the 1980s. I think we have a couple of Saturday nights main events before we get the Survivor Series. So we are slowly closing the door on a decade that we will not get back. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be October when we come back to to uh, Saturday Night's main event. So very close to the end. And then uh, we'll be the 90s and we'll very soon be a whole new world. So there's a lot, a lot to go through here. Absolutely. Folks, continue uh, to follow along, continue to give us input, help shape the narrative and the legacy as it goes forward, because we are in unprecedented times and we are going to guess our way into new knowledge as we go forward. Absolutely. So thank you very much for joining us. If you want to shout me out, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Talk to me about anything except why you like Bruce Beefcake, because I don't want to hear it anymore. 
Nice. Uh, the worst guy in that whole match. I'm talking about all six of them. And the, he's probably below the scissors even. So I'm going to give him Ooh. number seventh place in that match. It's probably more harmful to me to watch Brutus Beefcake in that match than Zeus. Because at least you can make an excuse that Zeus is there. I don't know what the excuse is with Brutus Beefcake. But, uh, oh boy. Um, all right. Check out the other great programs on LOP Radio as well. And all the great written material on www.lopforums.com. Navigate there through that URL or through our front page, wrestlingheadlines.com. A lot of great written material. Hope you will come join that conversation. That is all we've got. We'll be back with Saturday night's main event plus bonus content of 1989. It's going to be very good stuff. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature Yeah.